Hello and welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am your host, Dexter Kearley, and um, it's uh, about 9 o'clock, oh, 9.30 on a Sunday evening. There is uh, some like light flurries of snow here in Amarillo, Texas, the first little taste of winter weather. Um, it's kind of nice. I don't know. I guess uh, some people don't like whenever it kicks in you know and starts getting cold but i kind of enjoy it so um anyway i have a really good episode for you today i was really excited to get to interview broderick adams he is um the lead singer for mount ivy and he has a solo project called vamping he also works at um animal kingdom recording where he does i guess mixing and sound engineering and um I talked to him after the podcast, and it sounds like he pretty much does anything that the customer needs them to do. Uh, he can, um, he's multifaceted in his talents. Uh, the, um, let's see here. That, where Animal Kingdom, that's the other thing, is uh, they're a recording studio here in town, and I do think that they are uh, pretty, ex- like, the stuff that they have uh coming up is going to be very exciting it's going to be some cool stuff to tune into uh so give him a follow on instagram i'll do a link to his uh and actually the broderick adams name in the description on this podcast will go to his instagram and also check out animal kingdom recording their instagram and uh just another mention the cover photo for this episode is a picture that Connor Downs took. I don't actually know Connor Downs, but anywho, uh, he's the one that took the picture. So um, I'm actually doing an Instagram live, and Keegan Hollis just joined the uh, the live, uh, which is kind of funny because about to give him a shout out. So he had a little house show this past week. It was really fun, uh, decent little crowd. Uh, this dude named Dane. Rose was on tour. Stopped in here in Amarillo, Texas. A guy named uh, Connor uh, Sorensen uh, opened for him. He's a guy out of Lubbock. Uh, it's very experimental music. Uh, not exactly sure uh, how I feel about experimental music. It might be over my head. You know, it's like one of those things that might just be uh, like an acquired taste that i haven't quite acquired yet uh but it was really cool it was interesting it was kind of like a fun thing to uh to experience and it's one of those things that like just kind of reaffirmed the like there is a scene in amarillo like i don't know if i'd call it underground but it's definitely cool it has its own unique feel uh, very I mean, it's. I, I guess you can't really describe something as a, very Amarillo, um, but I guess I'm going to. It's very Amarillo. So, a uh, lot of fun. I was going to say, give uh, Keegan Hollis, Hayden Pedigo, and Gunnar Wadowski, give all three of those dudes uh, a follow on Instagram. They've all been guests on the podcast, so you can go back and listen to their episodes. They were all fun episodes uh i'm gonna actually uh have uh hayden on again soon uh to talk about his uh and possibly one of his uh city council running mates as well there um to talk about hayden hayden pedigo running for city council 
which is uh, a very interesting topic and uh, will will be a very fun episode to eventually record. But all that to say, those three dudes are like a contact for Amarillo. So uh, smaller bands, I say smaller bands, maybe maybe smaller bands is not the quite the right way to describe them, but bands that aren't necessarily playing at bars that are wanting to play house shows. These are the dudes that they contact uh, along with like the Tecla house and and stuff to do some uh, like more pop-up venues and they post about it on Instagram. So if you're into that, if you're wanting to like kind of get the feel, the underground feel, follow those three dudes, check them out. They're all talented dudes and they're doing uh, other shit on the side. So check them out. Also at that house show was the uh, Timble and Pim, uh, Pim Vintage Clothing Store, uh, pop-up store uh, there on Instagram, uh, Angelina Medina. She's actually going to be a guest. She's coming up to be a guest. Uh, I guess I'm interviewing her in a couple of days, uh, but that's going to be a fun interview. Uh, she's a lot of fun. And um, anyway, all that, that probably is that bullet point. Next is I'm going to give a shout out, another shout out to Shake Hands Amarillo. It's coming up the 17th of this month. I'm pretty excited. Um, if you've been keeping up with these intros, listening to my like little Shake Hands Amarillo shout outs, uh, I mentioned Jaime Lucero, who was one of the dudes I work with. He um, played in last Shake Hands Amarillo and him and three other dudes all got pulled out into like a separate bracket, like a round robin separate bracket. So they're like the elite four man bracket. And then there's uh, two more brackets. So there's like a, so I guess that would be like the elite bracket. And then there's like a seasoned bracket. And then there's like a not beginners because I don't think anybody that plays there is like beginner, beginner level, but like. The uh, I guess like we can call it A bracket and B bracket. I'm actually in B bracket, so I'm not dissing on B bracket because that's what I'm in. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I think this month they're sponsored by Rogue Ale, which is dope. They also uh, they get sponsored by Paddle Palace. Is that right, babe? I Paddle, have no idea. Isn't it? I think it's Paddle Palace um, for you know different stuff. So super cool. If you're into ping pong. Get with it. Check it out. Sign up. It's a lot of fun. The group is super fun. Uh, there actually hasn't been like a single time where I haven't been enjoying a conversation. Uh, like I get called away from a good conversation to go play ping pong, which it's like, how can you, you can't match two better things. Good conversation and good ping pong. So check it out. If you're interested in it, follow them on Instagram. They, uh, Jeff, the main I don't know if you call him a proprietor, babe. Is it a proprietor? Um, anyway, he has been building out Spotify playlists. He builds out Spotify playlists for each uh, tournament, and it's pretty fun. I'm following him on Spotify. Uh, this this month is Metal Night, and I think I just saw right before I started this video um, that he had. Ju- I think he's finalizing the metal uh, playlist for this month. So super fun. They always bumping loud music. Okay, let's see. Yep, those are both out of the way. Now my last plug is kind of like the first time I guess I've like plugged myself, sort of. Um, I just started a Patreon. Uh, So this, 
I'm doing it to kind of test the waters. Uh, I want to, well, okay, let me tell you the three tiers first. So you can get a monthly tier where this is, uh, you're signing up for an auto draft every month. And this is the dollar tier. I call it the dollar make me holler tier. If you uh, sign up for it, I'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Um, and you just, it's a dollar a month and that goes to uh, the podcast. And then the next tier up is the $5 tier. And this is the, the, the neck, all the rest of the tiers are all one-time tiers. So you sign, you, you do the, the payment or whatever, and it doesn't auto draft. The $1 is a monthly. So like, that's if, if you are a consistent listener of the podcast, if you're enjoying what's going on, if you're enjoying, um, what I'm doing, that's the monthly tier. If you just want to buy me a beer, um, it's a $5 one time, buy me a beer, uh, tier. And then there is the $10 a month or $10 one time, uh, tier. And this is the mythical creature tier. Cause I don't think that there's going to be very many of them out there. I think that they're going to be mythical creatures, you know, like unicorns or, uh, what's another one. What's the one with the, uh, the man with the bullhead. What's that? Ma- uh, what's that, uh, creature. You know, he used to, he uh, guarded the maze in Greek mythology. Throw a Google on that real quick. I will. I, I think it's like, uh, I should know that. I'm actually kind of embarrassed with myself that I don't know this. Um, she's typing it in real quick. Bear with me just for a second. But, so this Patreon that I'm starting... What I'm hoping the Minotaur. the Minotaur, I was thinking Matador, but those are the ones that kill the bull in the bullfighting ring. So the Minotaur. A Minotaur. So if you want to be a Minotaur, you can throw ten dollars. I'll I'll announce that that'll be the Minotaur class. Um. So what I'm what I'm hoping to use this money for, uh, besides buying myself a beer is to develop some merch. I'm working on some hats, some t-shirts. Uh, I want to get some different stuff to kind of start getting the name of the podcast out and just uh, and also to have some stuff to be able to give the guests, you know, whenever they come in to be able to throw them a little, a little swag for being on the show, a little thank you. So um, let's see. This, it's one of those things, so it gave me the option of either doing the people who are supporting it on Patreon. I could either make it public or make it private, and I kind of had like a little bit of a hesitation. I was like, man, I should probably make this private, you know, how many people are giving money and how much money they're giving, because I was like, man, how embarrassing will it be if like nobody nobody signs up, you know, or nobody uh, nobody's interested you know, but then I realized what I've been doing this entire time, which is really like practicing, experiencing embarrassment. You know, this whole thing so far has been a learning experience and I've actually been really, I've learned a lot through it and developed a lot through it. But, you know, even like sometimes when I go back and I listen to the podcast, um, I always have these moments where I'm like, dang, I shouldn't have said that, or maybe I should edit this out. But I've been trying to stay true to like what I set out to in the beginning and do these as genuine conversations with 
with no editing. So these these conversations are, you know, I have them like prompted. I have like um, I have some uh, some notes and stuff to try to keep me on track and to try to make sure it's like a productive conversation. But I, you know, there's always multiple episodes in every single show where I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have said that, or man, that's a little embarrassing that I said that, you know. Um, so this Patreon, it might just be like an extension. I might be just a glutton for embarrassment, like a glutton for, uh, for punishment, you know, but I wanted to give you all the opportunity to participate. I had one sponsor, um, and we went through that and that was a really great experience. I really appreciated them, but what I would really like to see if I could get this thing funded from the listeners that way it could be free of ads other than plugs like because i really enjoy doing these plugs um for like this is stuff i believe in the stuff that i've been plugging so far it's stuff that is happening in amarillo that i think is super dope and really fun and i want other people to participate in it as well oh dang I haven't shouted out the critical mass bike ride. I didn't know I didn't write that down, but it's the last Friday of this month of every month. Um, anyway, so let's see where am I at? Okay, yeah, that's all. That's all my announcements for today. Uh, Thirteen, almost fourteen minutes. So that was pretty quick. The song that I'm going to play in for to to lead into this podcast is called understood by mick jenkins it's off of his new album pieces of a man it's brand new the album's dope i've been listening to it on spotify and he's one of my favorite rappers and it's weird because i talk to different people who enjoy rap music and most people i haven't come across a person who knew about him yet so i've been trying to play him on the podcast for anybody who enjoys rap music to check out and see so like i said this well so the guest today broderick adams i really appreciated him coming on it was super fun i'm sure i'll have him on again he was a lot of fun to talk to uh this is understood by mick jenkins off of his album pieces of a man until next time everybody be good stories or even like you got the acuia so many different vernacular perspective and points went from selecting electives to collecting the coins to rejecting investments to connecting with legends and stressing acceptance to fuck it i'll write with my left i'm finessing this joint with my right to bring the light like a key on the kite the roll of thunder make them pee on themselves i see the fire i've been drinking freon i'm on the corner feel like dion with these cowboys don't speak snake with these malfoys though no sweat on my towel boy flow brought the funk like an outhouse to bump
bumps like a bounce house and spit like the beatbox, the heat hey. rock, the heat rock. Pull up puffin' on the end, though. Chevy shittin' up on the Renzo's. Oh, hey, hit me with the head nod. Understood a nigga like tenfold. Say a lot to say a little. And sometimes we say the motion, we ain't really saying shit at all. Cotton mouth, I swear I spit it all. I spit it all on the paper. I'm twisting all of this paper. I'm spinning all of this paper for retail therapy. Brimlow, they still can tell it's me. They said they want the kid in Tel Aviv. Now what that tell the world? I know you smelling me. My fingers recently wrestled the evergreen. Been a hundred proof, the message is ever clear. Speaking for the crew, I'm playing Miss Everdeen, peculiar. Yeah, I study Miss Pedigree, my pedigree. Duke Nukem, yo, you can but just let it be. Falling out of harmony, we singing different melodies. Really ain't spoke the same language in a long time. Both like to claim it's only cause the different latitude. Long lines and shows got me distant with my attitude. A matador, I know you mad at me, I ain't even mad at you. Hey, puffin' on the end, though. Chevy shittin' up on the rims, Oh, hey, hit me with the head nod. Understood a nigga like tenfold, 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 tenfold. Oh, hey, hit me with the head nod. Understood a nigga like. this morning it was damn it what fly dude it's like the worst Let's see what you got oh yeah <laughs> did Chris Splat yeah well I'll get him later I'll just leave him on home you know it always is kind of funny to me because that Bugs' ancestors, now my ancestors, have existed on the planet for millions, well, maybe not, well, maybe millions, depending on how far, you know, you categorize my ancestors, and I just splatted him all over the window like he doesn't matter at all, you know? It's kind of a funny, like, it's like a weird relationship we have with insects. You it know? is. Like, they're, uh, you mind being on film? No. I think I've still got makeup from last night. That was Robert Smith. Yeah, I saw I saw the uh, I saw the challenge. Okay, who's Robert Smith? I know the singer from the Cure. Okay, I I was looking at it and I was like, damn, I should be able to get this. I feel like I should be able to get this, but I couldn't get it. The singer from the Cure. Yeah. See, and I don't know. I guess I didn't know his name was Robert Smith. Mm-hmm. Even though I feel like um, the Cure in particular, like I've kind of gone through phases with different bands, and mm-hmm. there was like. A little phase. I would never say I got into The Cure, but I listened to like, there's probably like eight songs I put on like a playlist or something, sure. you know? And Which, as, as a musician, like how does that, do you feel like albums should be listened to in their like entirety? Or? I usually do. do. I'm the guy that, 
my friends get frustrated with me because I listen to albums like front to back. I'm like, oh, you know that song that goes like this, you know? And they're like, what song are you talking about? Like, what's the name of that song? I'm like, I don't know. I just mm. listen to the whole album, you know? Dude, that's how that's how I get too. Like, I've had a uh, frosted, cherry frosted mm-hmm. paint windows. What's house? What's, house, house. <laughs> and like, even like this morning, like I, whenever I woke up, you know how you kind of like wake up different times in the night. Like that song was like in my head, mm-hmm. like playing back and forth because I've just been. Well, not really necessarily for like preparing for this interview or anything, but I've just been listening to that album and I was planning on, I have an episode coming out tomorrow mm-hmm. and I was going to play that song like to preempt the interview. That's cool. And so I had, I downloaded it, you know, I, I download and then I have Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to the album on Spotify and you know, I'll just start it and that's the first song. So I always hear that song, you right, know? Right, right. But it, it is kind of crazy, like, w- even, like, right there, I, like, didn't know the name of the song. But because knew, I don't see the, I don't typically see the name. Yeah, you just you know? listen through. Yeah, I'm just listening mm-hmm. through. It is kind of crazy. That's just, like, how I like to enjoy albums. It's just listen straight through. Just listen straight through. Yeah. See, the, and I think I used to, I think yeah. I used to enjoy that a little bit more, but now that I have a kid, mm-hmm. and, like, my time, and it's almost, I almost hate it because it's, it's getting to be too cliche yeah. for me. Like, um, I don't have the time to listen to it. For, you gotta be you know? more selective about the Yeah, jams. you kinda gotta be, but see, this is what, this is the, the inverse mm-hmm. to that, is then I'm overly selective and I only listen to like 15 songs. <laughs> okay. You know, it's yeah. like so weird. I, I've been trying to figure it out because I used to, that used to be my thing was I only listened to the whole album, mm-hmm. you know, starting off. But then there's a lot of bands that don't have full album, you know, like that's not even what their gig is. Like yeah. their gig is like the three really good songs. Yeah, and then they like yeah. fill in mm-hmm. with these other songs. But, well, you want to hop in? You want to get started? Let's do it. All right, man. So I'm here with Broderick Adams. I said that right? Yep, that's okay. right. That's one of, the, one of the other problems with social media is you see the names far more often than you like speak them or hear them spoken. Mm-hmm. What is your Instagram handle? How do you say that? Grom the Rombi. Grom the Rombi. Okay. <laughs> yes. That was another one that was like throwing me for a loop. I was like, I'm not exactly sure how I would even go about saying this. Yeah. Where does that come from? Uh, I was, we came up with this crazy story back, you know, a few years back with some of my friends and just created characters Grom the Rombo was a character Mm. he was like a he's a really weird character he's supposed to be like a deity but more like Jesus Mm. version of a deity like somebody that walks the earth but definitely has like some sort of collection to the greater Mm. it's just nuts you know there's all kinds of silly characters yeah yeah so was this part of the band or was this it it was part of a previous band vaudeville cinema it was just this band we made, but it didn't ever do anything. How many bands have you been in? Uh, quite a few, but only, you know, a few that would actually gig and do things more outwardly. Uh, that band, like, we wrote an album, but it was just all pretty much undercovers, you know? Um, so what is, what is your backstory? Like, where'd you grow up? Uh, grew up in Canyon. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just a few, you know, 15, 20 minutes just a away. Little jaunt, just a little jaunt, a little jaunt from Um, Kind of grew up outside of Canyon, and so we had, like, this house that was off of the, like, Highway 60, 
really pretty out there. Um, I don't know. I always was interested in music. My granddad played music. He was like, oh. was a country guy. Oh, okay. He would go do like jamborees is what they're called. Do you feel like being from Canyon that you're ever slotted as like podunk or backwards or hick or anything like that? Not really. No? No. And there was like a lot of, I don't know. I would, didn't feel like I fit in with a lot of people in Canyon. Mm. There's definitely tons of cool people. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with people that were all over, you know. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that was <scary>. Yeah, that is <laughs> All over. So... I don't know. I don't feel podunk, but I've definitely hear influence in my music because of the music that's around here. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. Uh, like a lot of, <clears throat> I've talked on the podcast before, like there's a lot of these little towns around Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And I think with the internet and with, um, you know, music dis- distribution as well as pop culture distribution, that there's these places where people are almost more in tune with the scene Mm -hmm. because they're just getting it in bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So they like research the scene. They research the artist. They, they read everything about the artist that they can. So whereas you might have a kid in Austin who gets the same album, goes and sees the band, Mm -hmm. but doesn't ever pay any more attention to them In, in a, in some of these small towns, it's almost like they mull over the music. They mull over the con, like the, uh, the culture aspect mm-hmm. of it and almost appreciate it to like a like a, a higher yeah, like level. Elevator, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a it's kind of a weird I feel that way. I mean when I go to see bands I like, I've listened to them and researched them, learned about where they're from, mm-hmm. what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. So when I go see them, it's the, just that much more special. But yeah, and when I lived in Austin I saw you know, hundreds of bands and I didn't have time to do research on all of them. Right, like, right. So like, go, go, you know. Yeah, fast pace. So. You know, almost like a, almost like a conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. You know, versus just like a like a random, like a random drop in. You know, this is like, boo, 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 and you, it's so crazy to me too. Like, um, damn, I'm not gonna Tom Mangel. What's that dude's name from uh, Rage Against the Machine? Morello. Yeah, Morello. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he like tells a story about whenever he was in LA getting started out playing with a band before Rage. And he said that a band played before him and it was the most amazing guitarist he's ever heard. Mm-hmm. Like just next level. He as a guitarist is saying this is the most next level guy. Sure. And then they played their set. And then the next band played their set. And he said this guitarist was the most next level guy. You know, like just, so he sandwiched in between these two great guitarists. Mm-hmm. And he said both of them were no names. Mm-hmm. Both of their bands were no names. They probably didn't even stay together, and who knows if those guys ever even made it famous, right. you know? But uh, so was is there any like feeling like that whenever you live in one of those high traffic areas like that? Do you do you ever see so many musicians that it's almost uh, discouraging in a sense? Yeah, it kind of was, because um, I mean there were just so many bands and. There's so much access to put out music now. It's not like the old record industry where it's like they selected who they wanted to put out records and those records were the ones that mm-hmm. either hit or miss. But it wasn't like there was all the people that wanted to make music weren't putting out music and mm-hmm. funneling it through this small channel, you know. But now we've got the channels wide open. And so it is kind of discouraging sometimes just with the how much music is out there 
and like who gets recognition and who doesn't in music you know because mm-hmm. uh, yeah i've seen the same thing in austin just like the best musicians were playing on the street and then like i was watching some pretty average musicians playing like the big gigs you know Ooh. like it was just nuts damn that is i didn't ever think about that like factor of it because uh, and it's been so just i've said in a couple of jam circles um, like bluegrassy style, mm-hmm. like in this area, you like it's that. not hard to find a bluegrass, uh, you know. And and it seems like those are the bet, like uh, the most prominent jam circles. Like mm-hmm. I'm not part of this, I'm not that, but I'm bringing my guitar. And I'm gonna sit in. Yeah. And you hear some of these guys play, and it's just like that. They're a phenomenal yeah. musician, but they're not trying to do anything with their music. They're right. just doing it as like a hobby. Mm-hmm. And so that's always one of the things that's like struck me is it's like uh, how many like. Mu- like musical greats like never even right try to pursue it you yeah. know something like that it's kind of i don't know it's kind of neat though meeting a guy like that that's just so unassuming mm-hmm. you just see him and you're like okay yeah okay this guy's pretty cool and then he's just shredding out yeah. some bluegrass or something yeah. and you're like whoa like well, next like next level like thought it's like a different it's like almost like uh, coming in contact with like a monk or something yeah like that, you know You're yeah like, absolutely damn that's crazy you know <laughs> so that's cool so um uh, let's see here i'll hop back into my notes um so what were your some of like your early musical influences i remember growing up uh in the 90s born in 92 so uh, James Taylor was a big one for me mm-hmm. growing up. Like that was like probably the earliest I remember just being like in love with that folk style that he did. Um, I liked the Counting Crows growing up. Ooh, nice. Some Fleetwood Mac. That was that's still a big influence on me. Um, trying to think, and then New Wave. I definitely got a taste of some New Wave in my younger years. That kind of I rekindled later, like mm-hmm. more recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember these songs, and then recently I finally, like, start digging through and finding all the songs that I remember from my childhood, so that's kind of cool. And that hints being Robert Smith for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of interesting, like, um, you know, you have, it's the same music, but it's, like, different ears that Mm -hmm. are listening to it. I've, sometimes I've wondered, like, did I, whenever I'm, like, I re-listen back to a song from my youth that I liked in my youth and I'm like did I actually like it or like what what was my process yeah you know do you ever have that whenever you're listening back I do um which I don't know a lot of those songs are just timeless Mm -hmm. I I perceive them different and the message is obviously different because when you hear it as a child like you don't have the same uh, capacity to like mm. take in what they're actually saying. Yeah. Like, you know, James Taylor had some like really sad songs and mm. I was just like singing them smiling, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, my Walkman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I had like Never Die Young on a cassette. Oh. I'm just, you know, just walking, just stoked, listen yeah. to it. And I like have no idea what he's really talking oh, about. Man. You yeah, know? you haven't like experienced <laughs> yeah. the pain yet. Like, but to... it's neat because it kind of opens up to you in several ways over the years. Because when you're young, you're just like, okay, this is a beautiful song. Get a little older, experience something, it's more relatable. So you just keep turning the pages. Of, and that's that's what makes a good song or a good record for me. Yeah. Is things that you can turn the pages and actually start to relate to. Oh, yeah, like the layers of mm-hmm. it. And I always felt like whenever I was a kid, like listening to a sad song, even though I didn't really know the sadness, was like cathartic. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could almost like, 
I could almost, even though I knew that I didn't have that sadness in my heart, I could almost hold that sadness, from, you know, yeah. like from them. It's almost like a, like a gift, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm ex- maybe, maybe uh, not even exploiting their sadness, but I'm experiencing it with them, you know, something. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, so you said you uh, grew up in Canyon mm-hmm. and then like what, what's the what's the high school exit or exit strategy like when I left high school? Uh-huh. What did I do? Um, so I went to pre-pharmacy school and I hated it. Like I just absolutely hated it. Um, where'd you do that at? I did, uh, so I was going to Texas Tech. Okay. And I took some classes at Milan for that too. The pharmacy tech stuff, Mm. just like, and so I was trying to just do all that and then get into pharmacy school and then just make, make the big bucks. Yeah. But uh, when I got in there, I realized that I just, there's so much about like the pharmacy and then of course, big pharma that everybody kind of goes back and forth with. I just, I've seen it destroy people in my life before. Uh, and so it was really, really hard for me to get behind that kind of thing. You've seen like, like pharmaceuticals. Phar- yeah, pharmaceuticals and just, you know, doctors that prescribe like the wrong things mm. for people, you know, like yeah. they just don't even pay attention and it gets missed three or four times and they've got a whole other set of issues, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so, um, dropped out of pharma or pre-pharmacy and uh, started doing music more seriously and recording. Did you stay in college? No. Okay, so you yeah, dropped, dropped out of college. I, You're yeah, like, dude. college dropout. Yeah, nice. Here. Yeah, uh, that was 2012 I dropped out, or 2011 I dropped out, and then I started working. So at the time I was working at a gas station, and then also I was had just taken a job at the Devil's Rope Recording mm-hmm, Studio mm-hmm. with John. And uh, that's kind of, that guy's kind of why I made the leap of faith to try to pursue, you know, doing music and recording more seriously. Because I had been recording since I was like 15. Mm-hmm. I had like the basic setup. I think somebody like, my dad's friend like pirated me a copy of this program. And he's like, if you master this, then we'll get you something better, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I didn't know. I was just like, cool, I can record my stuff, you know? And uh, so, yeah, 2011, John and I had some pretty serious conversations and decided that I was just going to take the leap into pursuing music more seriously, whether it be recording or just creating, because I had showed him stuff I created, I created but... Um, <clears throat> so John, was, John is the guy who owned Devil's correct. Rope? Okay. Yeah. Now I met that guy back in the day. Yeah. Uh, just you know, Amarillo, you know, various places Definitely. and stuff. But, um, but continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, he kind of didn't coax me, but I think gave me the confidence to like want to mm-hmm. get out of it. He kind of we would go back and forth about pharmacy stuff, and I was just like, I was acing my classes. But I just wasn't passionate about it. I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't something I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. You know. So what? Um, what prompted the dropout versus the, um, like redirection? Like why, why didn't you necessarily say, well, I don't like pharmacy, but, uh, media marketing or something, you know? I think it's something that a lot of people that age experience, it's like whenever they get out of high school and like 
take some, like, right when you get out of high school, for the most part, you don't really know where you want to be. Yeah. There's some people that do. You know, I had friends that became EMTs, and they, like, knew from, like, being a kid, they were like, I'm going to be an EMT. Mm-hmm. And they straight they followed that path for the rest of their life, you know, and they're mm-hmm. EMTs. But some people just, and I think I fall in this category, like, don't know what they want to do after high school. Because I had interests, you know, of course music was an interest. I thought about going through, like, I played trumpet for, like, 12 years. So I thought about playing trumpet in college or, you know, environmental science or something. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't, I think I got so bogged down with all the information that I didn't pick a path. And Mm. so... See, because what it it doesn't sound... Okay, and, like, I know a lot of pharmacists. Like, my sister and my cousin... Uh, both went to Texas Tech mm-hmm. for pharmacy and and that style of brain mm-hmm. if you can do well in those classes it's it's not a matter of it's just a matter of hammering it out right you know and um, but <clears throat> there's like a certain intellectual level of of capacity mm-hmm. to where those people had they read you know my cousins and my cousin and my sister, if they had decided, hey, I want to be a marine biologist, they mm-hmm. would have been a, a marine they biologist. They, they can do school, mm-hmm. right? So I could never really do school. Like I wasn't, it was, I didn't have like these delusions like, oh, okay, well, I can just get something out of college yeah. and make some money, you know? It was right. kind of like, that's why I went fire academy. I went like the EMT, okay. you know, yeah. uh, line. And, uh, and it was honestly mostly out of like limitations. It was me saying like looking practically, what am I going to be able to get out of school? Sure. So that that's just kind of always an interesting uh, other side of it as somebody who's good at school <clears throat> and who has the capacity to ace classes but then decides no. I want to do it this other direction. Yeah. And so was it mostly John from – do no. we do we have him to blame for you being a college dropout? No. I – I was moving that way. I was working nice. a ton. I think at the time, I, so I was working my first full-time job too. And so somebody had just quit. I was working like 50 hours there. Between the schools, I was taking like 25 hours of school. So I had 75 hours a week Oof. of school and work, which I know a lot of people get into mm-hmm. when they're doing mm-hmm. full-time and just, you know, have a place and paying bills. Um but it was really, really tough. But somehow I was maintaining the grades and everything. I think I was just losing the passion for it. And then I didn't really know which way to go after that because that was kind of the path I had I had wanted to go down originally. And so I just didn't pick a different path. I thought music was the way to go. Nice. I think I was... I just decided to follow my passion for music, really. And it's been great and interesting and wild and crappy sometimes. But honestly, I wouldn't take it back. That's Um, like any... It's hard because nobody ever states it, but your 20s are investment years. mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be shitty no matter what direction you're going because you're investing in like what you're going to be when you're 40, Right, you know? But it's really difficult in the time to view it as I'm investing for later in life. Sure. So you you are kind of like the bottom oh, bottom yeah. of the barrel, but that's just nature, you know. Like yeah. That's just the the position in life you are. So it is kind of interesting because a lot of angst and a lot of 
rebellious feelings come with being at the bottom of the barrel, mm-hmm. you know? So it oh, is, yeah. it's difficult being in, in the 20s Definitely. stage. You yeah, know, absolutely. For sure. Well, and I mean, I'm barely in the 30s. You, I just started 30. You but just crossed over? Yeah, just just crossed over, so I can't talk about the 30s necessarily. Yeah, the, the 20s, I can I can definitely relate that. You it's saw like, that yeah, completely. I, yeah, it's like, I, I'm there. I understand that for sure. Um, so what, uh, well, let's, we'll get into that, the Amarillo culture. Oh, dang. The flies down. Happens, man. Yeah, I didn't even realize that until I looked down at my pad. Okay, so you got two different, <clears throat> I would say, would you say uh, current projects? Yes. Vamping, which is your solo project. Correct. And then Mount Ivy, which you have with a band. And John Rubin's been on the podcast yes. earlier. He was a previous guest. Um, so uh, I got a couple of questions about that. Hit me. So like... So a solo album, does that mean that you're composing mm-hmm. all of the music? Yeah. Or are you performing all of the music or uh, how does that work? Composed and performed everything. On that one, the only thing that's different is I use drum machines. And mm. so, cause I'm not like John level or John Rubin level drummer. Yeah. I'm like basic, you know? Yeah. Uh, algae eater compared to that dude isn't that weird man like being around so like drummers are like a different type of musician from every other type of musician it seems like you know and like when you find like a next level drummer it's like uh i feel like well i was talking when john rubin was on he was talking about like it seemed like he was in a bunch of bands and i feel like it's because like a next level drummer isn't like uh it's a commodity mm-hmm. you know it's not in surplus That's it's like true. you only have a few like next level drummers mm-hmm. typically out of any community yeah so but that's interesting so you did a drum machine yeah i did drum machines on that whole thing but other than that i played all the keys i played all the bass all the guitars performed all the vocals harmonies everything so now where where does your like music knowledge come from did, did you have lessons or I, had... I guess you said band yeah, I took playing. trumpet and I got some some music theory, like very basic music theory from that that absolutely did not carry over mm. for the most part because when I was playing trumpet, I loved to like compose trumpet mm-hmm. and play on my own and write things, but I hated playing other people's music mm. with the exception of a few pieces that were just really powerful. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a really powerful piece. And marching band was a little better too, but it's just... I think what I took from that is dynamics, like learning how to build things up and then just like, you know, completely Mm. take it away. Yeah. That's the one thing that Ben taught me. But as far as reading music and all that, it never translated to guitar or Mm. vocals or anything like that. Like if you ask me to, you know, write out what I'm doing, I probably have like to take like a whole day to figure it out. Like band, uh, like that style of composition almost feels propagandic to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about the crowd and the emotions of like a mass of people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, it is kind of interesting that that's like how we teach music to kids. Right. It's like the mass, you know, or curated maybe. I don't exactly know. Okay. So, so you didn't really get a whole lot of carryover from that. Not too much. I think, like I said, dynamic things were the main thing I carried over. Um, I played trumpet on some things that I did afterwards, but I haven't touched it in a while. Mm. Um, And then, of course, my granddad played um, 
country music, and he was kind of like pretty badass country guy. Nice. Uh, so he would he would go down to jamborees and stuff and play, and like he was in the house band at a bunch of these deals where they're mm-hmm. playing like classic country. Nice. And so like he was really inspiring to watch. He, Did he sing? He sang. He sang. Yeah, played guitar. And played guitar. And I remember he would just, whenever I was learning, he taught me like a few chords and I was like 10. I hated guitar when I was 10 because it was hard. And so I gave it up till I was 13. Mm. And then he got me like an electric guitar and I started playing it. And so he would just have me like play rhythm and then he would play little leads over it. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and it's just country, but it's, it's the good country, not like the overproduced Nashville Uh stuff. And so I just play rhythm, and he'd sing over it, and play leads, and yeah, it was fun. Nice. I think that's what ignited my passion for music early on was probably my granddad. So where did he get his like? So this is one of the things that's always interesting to me because I grew up. Whenever I very first started playing guitar, um, I had internet access mm-hmm. and tabs, and you know, like any song I heard, I could like look up the tabs and look up a YouTube video. Right. But it always amazes me these old dudes like back in the back in the Stone Age. <laughs> it was like, how did they develop and get better as a musician? You know, was is he uh, an ear player? Could yeah, he, he could just play by he ear. He is. Yeah, uh, his brother was a fiddle player. Oh. he was learning violin, but he enjoyed country music, so he liked the fiddle playing more. So he started switching to that style. Once he got to a certain level, he got my granddad a guitar. He's like, let's do a band together, you know? Mm. They both sang. They did harmonies. They both sang. My granddad was like, no, I don't want to play guitar. It's hard. I want to play bass or drums, you know? And he's like, well, we got to do it with what we got. You know, mm. I got you a guitar. Yeah. And so they would sit around. They had a radio uh, that their dad had purchased. And they would just sit in the living room, like crank it up, and they would just pick through the parts. Every time that song would come on the radio, they'd figure out another part. Mm. And so they kind of... They did it more like, you know, like the Da Vinci's code, you know, yeah, just like, yeah. all right, I got this part this time. I got to wait, you know, I don't know when they're going to play yeah. that song again. <laughs> so, yeah, but, damn, that is crazy. But now they've got like, I don't know, probably hundreds of songs they can just pull at any mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing. I think it sets deeper into your memory whenever you learn that way. Because oh, with yeah. tabs, I know... I've learned so many songs through Taz, and I just don't even remember yeah, them anymore. Completely forget them. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, that is crazy. Um, <clears throat> one of the bluegrass circles I sat in, uh, it was probably six years ago now. That's how the way that they were, the way that they were playing songs. They would say, "Oh, do you remember that album? Uh, came out in I think '92, '93," and they're like, you know, and then they spitball names back and forth. He's like, yeah, no, the fourth track. And they say the name, and he's like, no, the fourth track. And they, like, and they all knew it, and then they just start playing, and it was like, what? And, and it's not like they start in slow, like, figuring it out. They all, like, hit the ground running on it. Yeah. They knew the song. They knew. It was just, like, blew my mind, That's wild. you know? Um, that tells you something about, like, the gap there, too. Just the way they enjoyed music versus mm, the way we enjoy music. Yeah. Yeah, you never think of... When, whenever the digital music revolution hit, you never think of the, the limitations that produced mm-hmm. certain um, 
memories or, you know, like sure. their limitation of having to sit around a radio and wait for a song to come on made them want that song so much more than now it's like, right. uh, you just scroll through You're million, like, I could find tons anything. of songs. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's pretty and, interesting. And there's only X amount of songs on the radio because the record companies were selecting everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's not like they weren't going to hear the song again. It was just a matter of when. Yeah, because you know? there was a pretty small rotation. Yeah, they were... it would be like six. They, it's been pretty much the same. They always do like the six-week rotation of it. If it does well, they keep it on. You right. Know? And so... You know, they just learn hundreds of songs and enjoy all the same songs. Like, they had the same songs in common. Yeah. Like, it's probably less likely that, like, even you and I, unless we just have the same taste, would have that many songs in common. Right. With the general population, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's it's almost, it doesn't seem like, uh, like, those, those jam circles are based around, like, a collection of music that they all acknowledged mm-hmm. as the same, you know? Versus, like, now you take... Most guys like our age, even guys like I don't necessarily even consider myself a musician necessarily, um, but you take a group of mu- musicians and you say, "Hey, let's sit down and just play these songs." Sure, it's it's going to be a little bit more jumbled up and a little bit you know a lot more choppy. It is, you know? yeah. Unless you're playing like top forty or something, yeah. It's let, like, well, that's something we all recognize. You yeah, know? yeah. But typically, it seems like <laughs> artists, musicians. And I don't know, this might be uh, outside looking in, but it, it definitely seems like the top 40s don't get as much respect as like the deep tracks. Right. So, but, so, and then everybody's deep is different. You mm-hmm. know, it's like the pool, the pool used to be pretty small and have a three foot and a deep end, but mm-hmm. now it's like you're looking at the ocean. Right. There's a lot of deep parts in the so, ocean. So, yeah, so many. It's kind of hard to get there. So, um, <laughs> What is what is the process of like creating an album? Um, so like, well, just I guess let's just stay there, start to finish. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. So they kind of, I guess they're pretty similar. There's just more collaboration whenever I do Ivy stuff versus when I do vamping stuff. When I do vamping stuff, I just usually sit down with my acoustic. Or, you know, a synthesizer or something, because it's more synthesizer-based than Ivy is. And I'll just, you know, just play around until I hear something I like. Like, okay. Or sometimes I'm walking around, I have a drum beat in my head. I'm like, you know, if that beat's this infectious to me, then maybe it would be the same Mm -hmm. for other people, because I just can't stop. Like, it'll be in my head all day, I'll be tapping my leg or whatever. So I'll lay that down. And then just start writing to that, and then expand it out. And um, so, album wise, I don't think I really have like a, I'm gonna do this many slow songs, you know, I'm gonna have one of these really experimental songs. It's more just whatever comes. I try to get like a good selection of songs mm-hmm. before I release anything. That way, I don't feel like I'm picking just everything I have, you know? Mm. So, for instance, when I wrote, you were listening to Desert Plants when I uh-huh. walked in. Desert Plants, I had written about 16 or 17 songs. And then from those songs, there was like some songs that I had made two or three different versions of. Mm. Like one major, one minor, sad sounding. And then one where I slowed the tempo way down, used the same chords, you know, just like experimented with that. And then just picked 
what I thought was the best. And so mm. the 12 songs on there is what I thought was like the best re- representation, or the 10 songs was the best representation of all the music I created in that time, you know? Nice. But at the same time, I have like all this B side, all these B sides from that period. Mm. But I try to create a ton. And same with Ivy, I take the same process into it as so I orchestrate the song, try to arrange it the best I can. And then it's cool because with this iteration of the band, <clears throat> I can just like take them the songs and once I've got like a basic <clears throat> excuse me. No worries. Once I've got a basic, then they can kinda help me arrange it in a different way and they can take off my simple you know, four on the floor beat or whatever I did. Right. And make it way cooler and kind yeah. of enhance it, you know? Like, I feel like I pulled out this raw ore of gold uh-huh. or some kind of metal and I, like, hand it to them and somebody smelts it and somebody right. shapes it yeah. and the last person finishes it. You yeah. Know, that kind of thing. It's, like, the same similar process there. But vamping is just, you know, me experimenting and having fun. and Well, see, and it's kind of cool and, I mean... You can, and I don't know exactly, do you form a band uh, based off of, like, friendships? Or is it, like, like for Mount Ivy specifically? Or is it, you know, I know most of the guys in your band, um, outside of the band, right. have reputations as being good musicians. Yeah. Um, so is it kind of like one of those things like, hey, let's all come together and do this? It was, a, and it's a funny story, too, because... Um, originally, so I was working at Devil's Rope, and I was recording, and John was about to leave to move to Austin. Mm. He had family down there, and so I took on a bunch of projects for him to help him finish everything he had going on, so I ended up working with Topher, the bass player. Mm -hmm. I worked with Juan, and then, of course, I worked with John, too, a little later on when Juan and John had paired up for Glyphs, and... um, so I was writing like the first versions of the first Mount Ivy songs. Um, the band wasn't even named. And then finally I picked Mount Ivy and it was me and my girlfriend at the time that were doing, it, it was more of a folk project. Mm. So we were doing like real folk, like just finger picking guitars and like all kinds of like tambourines. I played trumpet on it. And then I asked Juan and Topher and John if they would play on one of my songs. Just like, hey, I've got this song. I really want it to be a full band arrangement. Mm. And so they played on it. That was like 2012 or no. Yeah, 2011 probably actually. Or 2012, I can't remember. But so they played on it. Didn't think much of it. They were just like, yeah, we're happy to help you out. You know, we really jive when we work together. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And uh, so they all split off and did their thing. And then later on, when I was putting the band together, I started kind of picking who I wanted. Uh, John wasn't in the first round, but Topher was and Juan was. They were both in the first round of the band. And then as things changed, like it was just a no-brainer to have John back or, you know, bring him into the project. And then we didn't even think about it till later, but we were like, whoa, you know, like this is actually the first version of the band mm. that we ever did. Yeah, you know? yeah. We recorded that song together. And so it's pretty cool. We played a show together. They filled in for that one song and I played my my whole 
stripped down set and then we played that one song at 806 when i was visiting from austin so it's just strange how it works that one was more i got to kind of pick the musicians i wanted um and we were all sort of friends i think juan and i had just started to become like closer friends topher and i were acquaintances like really strong acquaintances and same with john like we got along really well but we weren't like very close yeah and um but we all shared like an obvious passion for music that was kind of it's unavoidable yeah. when you like meet them yeah that like transcends mm-hmm. all the limitations of time that you spend with somebody it transcends once you understand who they are musically yeah because who you are musically carries over to who you are personally you know i don't think you can fake you can't fake some of that stuff you it can. seems like um well, and that's super cool that the process can be like you work something out, you write something, and then you present it, mm-hmm. um, and then they have the freedom mm-hmm. to create into that. You know, like I feel like that's probably kind of liberating to to have the the limitations of the bones of something, but you get to put in all the meat. Yeah, you know? like and yeah, that's that's cool. That's a that seems like a cool process. It seemed to work for us. We've written a few... I mean, it's always pretty much been that process. I usually demo it and send it to them, and I'm like, hey, write something to this, you know? There's been a few times where I just bring a part to practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, here's what I have for this, you know, these two chords right now. And they're like, cool, okay. I'm kind of feeling this tempo, you know, and we'll, we'll go through it that way. And mm-hmm. I really like that style of writing. But more often than we've done where I just demo a basic bones idea like you were saying and let them put the meat on mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah that's super cool that's super cool um let's see so how do you how do you uh like so like with mount ivy well what first off where'd the name come from um i it's a it's a city in new york or like a town in new york i didn't know that till later i was i made three names for the original for the band and what I did is I just put them in my phone, but like just moved that note all the way to the bottom of my phone. And I waited for like a couple weeks and I was like, okay, whichever name sticks with me is the one that I'm going to mm. stay with because I couldn't pick and I was just coming up with all kinds of silly names, you know, like who knows what I was coming up with. And, uh, so whenever I got through that two weeks, I was like, okay, it's time to pick a name for the project. And that was the one that still stuck with Mm -hmm. me. And so there's not really any, like, I don't know, like emotional thing behind it, or it was just what stuck with me for it. And, uh, I thought it fit the vibe of what I was doing. And so, so what was, what was the vibe that you were doing? Like, what was, uh, you know, you were saying folky and everything, but like what, so uh, I guess to interject a little bit sure. on it, so like uh, Space Camp, and you got several of these songs on it. It kind of it has like a nostalgic feel while still being maybe slightly presumptuous about the future. Like, what was there a concept, like a deeper concept that you were going with it, or for Mount Ivy? Yeah, just the name. Not really. No, I I thought you know when you see, I guess it was more. Like when you see a band that you like that their name doesn't really have it, like Radiohead, you know, uh-huh. it's like that doesn't necessarily represent 
everything that they've done, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not always a deeper concept there. Right, and right. so there wasn't really a deeper concept to it. It was just what stuck. Yeah, you know? nice, nice. Um, so, like, uh, whenever you're, like, creating an album and you're, like, like curating, like, a sound for mm-hmm. the whole album, like, how often do you, like, write a song and you think, wow, this is a cool song, but then you, like, look at it in the scope of, like, the whole album, and you're like, eh, it doesn't really fit as, you know? I've like, had that so many times. So, as I was telling you with Vamping, I wrote 16 or 17 songs with different versions. For Mount Ivy, we've got probably, on top of, like, three hours of music we've performed over the course of time, but we've got probably, like, 30 songs in the bank, you know, just mm. that we've never done anything with or never performed, but we like all are familiar with it. Like we've all listened to all these demos. Um, and so, um, sorry, I'm getting off topic. Here. No worries. Um, it's, it's nice to have that much cushion because a lot of times I feel like there are bands that are like, I mean, I've seen up-and-coming bands that are like, okay, we wrote four or five songs. We need to write, like, three more songs and so we can play a show. Mm. Not always the best idea. Like, it's just because, you know, you're limiting yourself to what you have and not necessarily thinking about, like, what you could do. Yeah. What would make it cooler. And then I've seen bands that do that, and it's just, like, every song they write is just a total banger, you Mm. know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I just don't even get that. Yeah. But no, for me, I think... I think the way I remedy that is I just write all the songs I want to write and then um, just pick the ones that I think fit the vibe, you know? Yeah. Like the newest one we're working on was supposed to be a double album, but we ended up dropping tons of songs and we finally compressed it into a single album called Eventide. It's going to be called Eventide and Awakening, which we might still go with that concept for another one, but Eventide was supposed to be kind of dark, you know, and just uh, just really moody. And then Awakening was going to be more positive sounding, really mm. big moments, you know. And so every once in a while there's a concept there. And that's, I think this next record we're working on definitely has more of a concept in that way because we went with more of a moody vibe to it. Well, and it seems like... How long have y'all been a band? So we are like uh, like a like this is what we're doing, right? You know. Um, let's see. So since Wabi Sabi, like three or four years now. Three or four years. Yeah. So you y'all are probably settling into a point where, like, to me, like a concept album seems to be whenever like whenever a band really forms in and they like lock in with each mm-hmm. other then they can do a concept album, yeah. you know, because it, it's very, it seems to me at least, like, because then you're not necessarily working from inspiration. Mm-hmm. You're working from, like, a direction, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems uh, to be pretty difficult as a as a band yeah. and as an individual artist to not get, like, you know, so cornered into, like, one type of style or, you know, like, at least for me, like, whenever I'm, like, messing around on a guitar... I'll I'll realize okay I played four different things that I feel like are different but they're all the exact same yeah. thing they're not actually they're all the same thing just done slightly just a, different yeah. you know so it, it does seem like um, and I don't know I have no idea what like the the 
time period, you know, but like Pink Floyd, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like they hit that stage where it was just like, oh yeah, okay, we're going to do some concerts. And they were able to know? do it like back to back, you know, because they were so m- melded together yeah. as musicians. Yeah. And so I finally feel like this iteration of the band is ready for that kind of nice. thing. And we all vibed really well on the music and the comp- like the whole composition of the album and putting it together you know we were moving songs around and trying to figure it out like mm-hmm. well when you have this song here it totally kills the mood because there's this song coming after it and it's like yeah and so it's been really fun to work with those guys on this and then every once in a while they'll give me lyric advice too just you know hey have you thought about this you know arranging this this way yeah i'm pretty open to that too. yeah i write most of them but i'm open to that well see and that's uh my wife's actually an editor um and so anytime i'm writing like that's one of the hardest things i think as a writer to realize mm-hmm. is that the first time you write something it's probably going to be shit real bad like yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that the idea isn't there yeah it just means that the first iteration of it is shit sure like period uh, even if it's really good compared to what it could be, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it is kind of funny, like, uh, you always hear these, like, horror stories of bands where, like, the the lead writer gets this big head and doesn't want to listen to anybody else mm-hmm. and just wants to do their own thing, you know? Um, versus, to me, it seems like the creative process would, like, work better with... with More input. Yeah, more the input. Yeah, the collective. Yeah, exactly. And, and they might... Um, see something in a lyric mm-hmm. that you're saying you didn't even think that it was saying that you know but mm-hmm. then it gives them an idea to really elevate the overall sure. lyrics you know or something like that yeah. that's pretty cool the, the collaborative nature of like a good band that's dialed in um, and it almost like shows like the human spirit you know mm-hmm. like the like what's going to keep us from you know, descending into extinction. Almost, sure. You know, yeah. it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird deal, you know? Um, so what do you do when you have, do you have ever have any creative blocks? Definitely. Like writer's block? Yeah. Or? Um, I take some time off as soon as I feel a block coming on, you know, I do something different, like play some video games or go fishing has mm-hmm. been my latest go to. Mm. I love fishing and I, I loved it growing up, but also another thing I've rekindled since I've been back in Amarillo. Um, I just try to go to a different avenue, you know? Mm-hmm. And then also, I read somewhere going, taking a different way home or going through mm-hmm. doors that you don't normally go through. Brushing your teeth with the opposite hand. Have you heard that one? I haven't. Have you done it? Yeah. Well, so I can't remember exactly. I think it was like my eighth grade English teacher was telling me. Because any time that you do something and it's automatic, mm-hmm. um, if you switch the automatic, so you're still doing something super basic, but you switch that automatic, like driving home. Mm-hmm. Uh, his example was brushing teeth. Um, so, so then I started doing it with my left hand brushing teeth, and it's like amazing the uh, like the finesse mm-hmm. that you can get with with your right hand and then you start experiencing it with your left hand and it's like the finesse isn't there you know you're not hitting the same spots on the teeth or whatever so but um, you're paying more attention i'm sure you're being more aware of what you're doing way more attention (laughs) i've been trying it with with my wife and i've been playing some ping pong Mm -hmm. shake hands amarillo ping pong league 
And um, occasionally whenever we're practicing or playing in the garage, I'll switch to my left hand. Just, and it seems like playing with the left hand sharpens the right hand. You right. Know, it like, makes you a little bit better. Right, because you're thinking about your right hand moves objectively at that point. You're not really like just so hyper focused on it. You're like, oh, okay, well, here's my left hand is kind of stupid. And it's doing exactly. this. Exactly. It's like, but my right hand has more control over those actions. So it's like, yeah, yeah that totally like, makes sense. It like sharpens and, and it activates like a different part of your brain, which then your normal can recruit to use it. So that's cool. Yeah, I've heard, I've definitely heard stuff like that. I've never before. tried left hand. I feel like I don't know how that would go. Isn't I might it, try it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely need to try it. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. And it? you feel so dumb. Like, I'm that's sure. like, and it's like, is this what being a little kid feels like? <laughs> you know, like, because everything you're like doing, you've never done before, right. and you just feel so dumb. You're a you know? pioneer. Yeah, you're a pioneer. Yeah, little kids, man. That's hilarious. But um, so so that's how you can. So your uh, approach is you're coming up to a block, you're coming up to a wall, mm-hmm. and instead of hammering at the wall, you take a step back. Yeah, definitely. and maybe try to find a way around the wall instead of trying to go through. Yeah, I wait for it to come back. Mm-hmm. I don't really force it. What is it? Just the mojo, you the know. Mojo. Just, I feel like a lot of times whenever I'm writing, it comes from somewhere else. I think Willie Nelson's actually talked about this that he just pulls songs from the sky. Mm. He's like, you know, I just I sit there and I start playing my guitar, and then I'm reaching up there, and if I pull a song down, you know, great. And I feel the same way. I think that's a really good description of it. I think, like. I don't know. And also, I was talking... Are, do you know Ray Wilson? The name's not... Oh, yes, from uh, High Fidelity. Yes. Um, he has yeah. a similar concept to it, that the songs Records. already exist, and it's just they're, they're picking an avenue to go through. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. I feel really similar to that, but I think the songs kind of exist, and they're out there, and they're just waiting for the right person. To mm, like do a conduit. Yeah. yeah. You've got to... Like, the power exists, you just have to have a chord... To bring it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of interesting because there's only so many possible combinations of notes, mm-hmm. beats, and lyrics. So, in theory, you think everything has to exist and everything that could exist will exist. Right. Because that possibility will be, you know, um, called out of the mm. of the ether or whatever you sure. want to say. So, where, where do you think that that exists? Like, where do you think that that, like, the... The the creative well, you could call it, you I'm, know? I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I definitely feel like sometimes when I'm writing songs, I do write from personal experience. I've definitely written songs that I feel like weren't my songs, like mm. weren't songs that were about me or for me, you know, or about things I've experienced. I feel like it's something that somebody else's experience that's mm. coming through me, you know? Yeah. And so it's, I don't really know. I'm like, don't feel like I'm like a spooky, super spiritual person in that way that I'm just like, you know, I'm just like pulling people's souls out of the air and like yeah. putting them into my music, that kind of thing. I just think, um, I don't know. I think some of it's subconscious. I think, your subconscious writes a lot of stories because I, that's how I put my music out there. I'm really not the best with words whenever I'm in normal conversation. 
But when I'm writing, for some reason, like the words just come out of me and mm. I can write and write and be more, have more diction, I guess, and be more concise. So, uh, are you aware of Terrence McKenna at all? Mm-mm. So he has, he was like a psychedelic philosopher, thinker. I, it's hard to exactly explain who he was, but he had this concept of a transcendental object at the end of time mm-hmm. that's pulling us forward towards it. And I think he maybe would call it the singularity is like the final example, sure. but that the pull is, uh, causes like at the acceleration is novelty uh, is an acceleration of novelty. And so you start having these new things come into existence, the closer you get to the object, you sure. know, and like that was kind of as, that's his, interesting. you know, it, it's kind of weird when you start thinking about like creative things and how, like sometimes when you're the most creative, you're the least there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're more of like a window or a lens sure. that the light is coming through, uh, versus blocking the light and then trying to let the like the bits and pieces you want through, right. you know, or something like that. It's like a trying to get that like full concept or mm-hmm. something like that. But that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got some some interesting stuff. I mean, you got to sit through hundreds of hours of audio sure. tape, you know, and he's kind of got a goofy voice, but, um, yeah, there's something like strangely inspirational about yeah. some of the, and some of the stuff he was probably way off on, you know, yeah. but, uh, other stuff, it was like, you like listen to it and it's like almost, at least for me, it's like helped me be more creative. Yeah. Like hearing his perspective. Just, like, on yeah. Different perspectives. Yeah. That open you up. Um, so, um, how, okay. So, Music and art is kind of considered something you do for fun, mm-hmm. you know? So how do you push through the, like, this is something that I play at to this is something that I work at? Um, I mean, it just takes a ton of work and ton of dedication from everyone. Um, I don't know. I've seen different stories. I have bands that, friends bands that tour, you know, months out of a year. And work work their butts off for it, and they make like almost nothing. Like they come back, and they broke even, you know. And then there's some bands that end up with like a manager, and their manager's just really awesome, and books them the right gigs and gets mm-hmm. them the right places, you know. And all of a sudden they're on huge tours, and they're actually making money mm-hmm. playing. And um, I don't know, and I I don't think there's like. These days, I don't think there's like a strict formula for it. I think a lot of it is chance, really, because of the amount of music that's out there, the amount of bands that are working for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I don't even think, I think to an extent, talent does matter, but I don't know if it's as big of a factor as it was like back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, there's, I'm sure you've seen huge bands touring that you're gonna be like, man, I just can't dig their music yeah. at all. Like I don't get it. And then there's bands, you know, locally, even here, you know, there's bands I've seen locally here. I'm just like, man, these these bands are awesome. You know, like they should have some recognition mm-hmm. and be in the industry. You know, I think they could really do things for music mm-hmm. that people don't even realize. And so I think. For one, you just have to like imagine, just put it in your mind mm-hmm. um, that you want to do it, 
and even our band hasn't got it like fully locked down you know it's not like we're making bukus of money doing it we all have day jobs Mm -hmm. we're all grinding so that we get to do the shows and trying to figure out the best moves to go into touring and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. like we want to tour we just want to be smart about it when we tour and so we're trying to make sure we have everything lined up so that we're prepared not only to tour but to lock in dates for touring have the right material and then have the right promotional tools to do it DIY that's what's so crazy is it's like there's a huge logistical aspect of it and Especially, like, it seems like typically a mind or a person isn't good at all things. Mm-hmm. So you might be really good at arranging some music, but then the logistics of how are we going to make it five months on the road, mm-hmm. hitting all these different spots, making all... I mean, it's like, it's different There's mindsets, it's different, yeah. you know, things. And so it's it's kind of interesting whenever you're saying that, like, not only does a musician have to worry about creating Mm -hmm. uh, a product that is emotionally engaging Mm -hmm. and also hits the right vibe hits the right style all of these things but now that same artist has to figure out how do i market it what kind of which topher does all the artwork so you're kind of lucky in that that you've got like a graphic artist that's in the band um but you know you have to figure out uh, graphics and dates and all mm-hmm. and like merchandise and all mm-hmm. of this different stuff uh, that's like a lot of pressure beyond just making, making an, me, yeah and all of it is so that you can stand on a stage and play the music that you're mm-hmm. that you're putting all this effort into mm-hmm. and then somebody who has zero invested in it who's just right. sitting in the bar that's the person you're trying to reach. Yeah. So you have all of this invested in this and they have nothing invested right. in it, you know? So it is kind of interesting. And that's like behind the curtain too. It's like a lot of people don't realize what goes into it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many artists and musicians that just do play for fun because they don't want to worry about the logistical side or the business side of making music. So, you know, they'll play in their hometown. Mm-hmm. They've got their friends that come see them. They know all their songs. And that's great, too. Like, either side of the fence. Uh, I think we just want to be on the side of the fence more on the logistical side of it. Just hopefully doing some touring and, you know, all the marketing and figuring that out. And we've luckily, we're pretty well equipped with people. Like you said, Topher does the art. I do the arranging of music and then, you know, kind of conceptualize a lot of things. John and Juan both are really good with people. I think John is more, uh, I don't know what the word is. He's very well-spoken. and so we Articulate? Really, articulate. That's what I was going for. Yeah, John's very articulate. So we like him interacting with people and doing the social media mm. because he's just so well-spoken. And I don't know. I think he's really relatable. And then Juan does most of the booking. Mm. Like when it comes down to it, he's good at hammering out details and being really direct without being completely rude. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Because so in the same way that you can leverage y'all's different talents into a into music, Mm -hmm. you can through a band. You can also leverage y'all's external talents and into 
you know, going back to the band, you know, so that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. I don't think every band has that, and we would love to have a manager if it made sense, but for now, I feel like we have the right tools. We're just trying to make sure that the product's good and that, you know, we put our all into the record. We, we're done recording it, and we busted on it, you know, and it was kind of had to be a quick thing because I was working a ton and also recording other bands. Mm. And everybody else, of course, has busy schedules. And so, but we, whenever we got down to it, there was, we did, redid drums on some songs and like we tried to be really meticulous about mm. making sure this is the one, you know, that's going to take us on the road and all that good stuff. Cause you just see bands putting out records and you're like, yeah, we're not there, you know? Yeah. We we need to be there before we kind of approach this. Otherwise, it probably won't go over very well. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to it, man. Well, it's interesting because all of that, the touring, the album, the merchandise, the logistics, all of it goes into trying to convince somebody to create enough space to create enough attention mm-hmm. to invest in listening to the music, mm-hmm. like actually listening yeah. to the music, not just because I've, I've sat with, there's been multiple albums, multiple different artists. Um, like Wilco is a good example. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I heard Yankee hotel Foxtrot, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. Yeah. It like didn't sit with me. And, and I actually kind of, it kind of hurt me a little bit yeah. because uh, so many of my friends that were kind of like, I think it was before hipster, the term hipster came yeah. in but kind of hipster, you know there. they were all like this is it this mm-hmm. is the shit this is the best thing ever and i'm like i hear it and i'm like sky blue sky made sense to me mm-hmm. but yankee hotel foxtrot didn't quite make sense to me resonate with you but then i picked it up again like four months later and it still just wasn't quite there and then three months later and then it hit you were like oh and then i got it yeah. and now it's one of my favorite albums yeah. of all time you know so but um, the reason that I invested those those multiple different attempts at it was because the hype around it was mm-hmm. there. So I, I knew that there was some uh, value there that sure. I just needed to properly invest in to, to like receive. Sure. And so it seems to me like really difficult, especially in the digital climate, to to get that investment oh, yeah. out of out of a person to where they're gonna come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. Yeah, you know? that's I mean that's the end game, you know. Don't especially for us. Um, I was actually talking to the guys recently, just like telling them how stoked I am to play music with them because, you know, when I write songs, I'm like very excited to share that's my way of sharing my thoughts and hopefully connecting with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I make music is because I want to connect with people and I might be further along in the journey than they are mentally, you know, or emotionally I might've gone through something that they haven't quite crossed Mm -hmm. yet or they're going to cross at some point. And so I like want to be that for people like the musicians that inspired me were for me, Mm -hmm. you know, like they, created these songs and I didn't get them and then finally I went through something and I was like you know I'm listening to the song again I'm like man like this is exactly what happened to me like Mm. just connecting with people and trying to give them a path to take or like yeah you know or just relate to them maybe I never even in the song there's no resolution you know it's just me putting just a 
a feeling out there, you know, this is what happened to me. They're like, I feel awful about her. I feel great about it, you know? Does it ever trip you out to think that the people who might appreciate your music the most haven't been born yet? That's interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, think about, think about, like, probably 90% of pop music as far as, like, what we would consider culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. Most of those people are dead, you yeah. know? Or they created the music before I was born, you right. know? Uh, but now I'm listening to it and I'm, like, acknowledging it. But it's so far removed from the creation and, like, right. they're not getting any... They're not necessarily getting the the kickback you right know, right the, the reward of it you know? and i guess so yeah same along the same lines of that i was telling them that it's exciting to me to play music with them because like the passion i put into music and the and getting my thoughts out and expressing myself and hopefully touching people's lives you know um they put that into their instrument and they feed off of what I've created, you know, and that's why I feel like the band aspect of it is very special because when I create a song, they listen to it and they listen to the lyrics, you know, they don't just like listen to the arrangement and they're like, mm. okay, I'm going to play this. They like listen to everything and they'll add parts based on what I'm doing and like make, give it power, you know, like give it that. It gives them an excuse to take it serious. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And going into what you were saying about the people that might appreciate the music not being born, the main thing with it all, whether it gets, you know, becomes a huge impact on the world or not, I always say, like, I just want to create waves, you know? Mm. Like, whether those waves reach people now or later, I just want to, like, do something that creates a wave and hopefully, you know creates more waves and spreads out. Well, it's that's the only, the only way you can surf mm -hmm. is if there's a wave to surf on. That's you know? right. Like you have to have, you have to have that context mm -hmm. of the natural, um, what would that be? Force, like the force of nature mm -hmm. has to be there in order for you to then hop on mm -hmm. to that force of nature. So that is, that is pretty cool, you know? And a lot of people don't, you know, I think music, um, it seems like it happens so slow. It's mm -hmm. so like when you're creating the music and stuff, but whenever it actually hits somebody, it's more like an earthquake. They feel like it just popped up. Yeah. You know, whenever it was actually had the pressure and the tension has been building for a really long time. Yeah. And the earthquake is just whenever finally, it expresses yeah. and pops loose. So that's pretty, that's pretty oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I put the record out, uh, when I put the vamping record out, like I told you, I kind of snuck it out. I pretty much like overnight and dropped it off in front of everybody's house, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so minuscule that some people didn't recognize it or some people like missed the radar completely. But like, for some reason, like this publication in Mexico, like right across the border from where I wrote it, picked it up and they were like, whoa, this is really cool. Like you wrote this in El Paso, you know? So they posted about it. And then uh, this blog in Brazil reached out to me about it. And I was just like, how did you guys find yeah. it? You know, like, I didn't promote it. Like, I posted the full album on YouTube and put it out on all the normal, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, mm -hmm. Tidal, everything. But I didn't, and Bandcamp, but I didn't promote it at all. And I'm just like, it's kind of cool how s that one was more 
that one happened more quickly. Not that it got like massively huge, like mm-hmm. where it's on like a Burt playlist or something like that, but it got some early attention that it was really unexpected for me because I was just like, you know, this is different for me. This is a lot of the music that I like to write on my own that wouldn't necessarily work in a band like with the Ivy guys, you mm-hmm. know, because the like I've written songs that are similar to vamping and like one of them or well, mostly Topher w- will give me his true, honest opinion. He's like, no, nah, man, it's too soft. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't fit the vibe of what we're doing. Yeah. He's always pretty honest with me about it. But um, yeah, it was cool to see it get picked up. But so I it got picked up. Like, nobody in the States was really listening to it because I had the... I can watch who was listening on Spotify for oh, artists. Yeah. And so I get, like, the statistics there. But in Italy and Greece and Brazil, it was just, like, popping. You know, it got added to some playlists in Italy and Brazil. And they were just listening and they were messaging me, like, hey, I really like this. I Like, you're such a mysterious figure. Like, I don't know who you are. And I was like... I'm just a dude that put out this album, yeah. you know, like didn't do much promo material. Don't even have like promo pictures really for uh-huh. it. I just put it out and they're like, well, we love it. Come to Brazil or come to Italy. Oh shit. Or, and, and so finally after it kind of circulated for a while, I did that blog with this guy named uh, Renato in Brazil and we, we answered questions or I answered questions for him and uh, he posted that up. And then this guy, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, because I'm sure we butcher each other's names. Costas in Greece reached out to me, and he was like, hey, I've been listening to your album. I run this, like, small, super small label called Mellotron Recordings, you know, and we do limited runs where I create the art, and I put your music out either on CD or tape, and, um, He's like, would you be interested in doing, like, one of these with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, like, I didn't really care about the money. He's like, well, I'll send you, I'll make the batch and send you 20% of those and you can sell those on your own, you know? I'm like, man, thinking about it, because I've had to send him some stuff to Greece now, and it's, like, super expensive to send stuff. I'm just like, I don't even know how he affords to send me those tapes, you know? Well, we did the tape together for Desert Plants, and then now we've done EP uh, together. And I didn't realize that in Greece they they use like mini discs, like. Oh. And so he sent me the <laughs> copies of the album, and I'm like, "Whoa! I don't even know if I still have a player for that." Yeah. Either. But it's cool. Like it's just in this cool sleeve. The art's amazing because nice. he's just got a great eye for it. Yeah. But he does, like, super limited runs. Like, I think we did, like, 60 copies of Desert Plants. Like, 20 of them were, like, art edition that had, like, some pictures that were printed on this really nice paper from, like, the era of the album and stuff. Mm. And then he did, like, standard edition that's just the tape with, like, a J card. And it's got a picture of me and my cat in it. Nice. And, stuff, and it was cool. Um and yeah, and we I think there's like two of those left, and then we're currently selling the new EP. But it's just random, like, that it bounced around that way. And really, when I moved back, just now started to be more recognized with, like, people here or people in El Paso that I knew when I was writing the album. Like, they were, like, listening to it a little bit, but they didn't really, like, embrace it. But now I'm, like, looking and, like, 
those cities are on the map now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't know how I like got to these countries and they just like picked it up immediately. And then the States are just like, you know, just now catching on to it. Well, see, sometimes it's too close to home. Right. Like, uh, I was, you know, Hayden Pedigo. Mm-hmm. So we were talking and he was saying, you know, like a lot of his music is listened to on the coasts and like he has, you know, a lot of, he gets a lot more attention from these other places and he's like, I can't figure out why I'm not getting attention from here. Yeah. And it's like, almost like, uh, when somebody lives here, they don't necessarily need it represented in music form. It's not, it's not, uh, nostalgic almost, but whereas these other people, when they hear it, they experience Amarillo and they experience some, a part of the country that they don't ever see or ever experience, you know? So it's kind of one of those things that's interesting. Like you might put out an album in El Paso Mm -hmm. and all of the people in El Paso kind of like hear it, but it's like, like, this is, this is El Paso. Like I'm in El Paso and this is El Paso. So I don't really notice it, you know, it's not novel. Right. But then you send it to Greece or a guy in Greece gets a hold of it and now he's experiencing El Paso. He's yeah. experiencing a different part of yeah, the world, was, a different yeah. culture. Sure. And that it's popping, it makes sense. It's like uh almost in the same wavelength, uh, maybe different like octave, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But it's the same, you know, he can relate to it enough. Sure. But it's still completely new or something. You that know? totally like something makes weird sense. Weird like that. Yeah. I remember. So I didn't listen to Hayden's album, album "Greetings from Amarillo," until I lived in El Paso, mm. and it was just super nostalgic for me. Yeah, and it was honestly on my rotation. You know, at least two or three times a week, I would just listen to the whole thing and yeah. give me my Amarillo fill. Yeah, I listen know? to it whenever I'm writing. Yeah, because it's really nice, like the space that it creates mm-hmm. without giving you a narrative necessarily. Right. You know, and so I, I that's I've started listening to a lot because I've always had like I have like slightly ADD issues. Mm-hmm. So anytime I have something playing in the background, it can almost like keep a portion of my mind occupied. Uh, yeah, or it's to where you can't truly focus on what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Uh, but whenever it's whenever it's instrumental music and it's playing in the background, it almost like creates more of a space. Like yeah. it, it takes a portion of my attention and then it actually frees up a portion of my attention. Right. It's kind of an interesting, yeah. an interesting thing. But yeah, it is, it's kind of strange. Like you know, you you always want to be validated mm-hmm. locally, but most of the time, whenever what you're doing, the people that would really grab onto it are not local to you. Like even your friends and stuff. It's like they are with, like my wife, she never listens to the podcast because she's like, I'm with you all the time. Like I'm, you're not saying anything different. You're not, you know, like, so it's like, why would I want to give you more of my (laughs) attention than I, you know, because she's too close. Yeah. That makes sense. So it is, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird deal. But then whenever you're trying to mount a, you know, to build confidence and to get ready to tour and stuff, you're going to do it right where you are, you know? Yeah. And so it, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I, I don't know. And granted, you probably have a lot more uh, insight into like that complex, you know, relationship, but it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense yeah. that somebody from across the world, you know, would, would latch Pick onto up. it more so than somebody that's like right next door, mm-hmm. you know? That, that does make sense. Yeah. And, yeah, I was surprised that you were listening to it. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, like John Rubin when yeah. he. So I knew Mount Ivy, but uh, I hadn't really seen any of the vamping stuff or mm-hmm. any of that, you know. So, it, which is that's part of the reason I'm loving this podcast is because it's giving me like this. Uh, it's almost like being an investigative reporter, mm-hmm. you know, like you start looking at your surroundings and the people around you with a different eye. Yeah, you know, and you're unlocking all kinds. I'm yeah, sure all kinds of new places to try. And, you know, new music, new art, artists. Yeah. Well, it's it's there. Creative. It's there all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, like, for instance, um, uh, Luis Garcia mm-hmm. with Critical yeah. City lives, I mean, I can almost hit his house with a rock. Yeah. You know? But without this podcast, I probably wouldn't have met him, mm-hmm. even though I can almost see his house from right. my house. You know? It's, like, real weird. Amarillo is such a... Such a weird. I, mean, I don't think it. Maybe it's not unique to Amarillo. Maybe it's just like society. Yeah. But until you're really, you know, bust out the microscope and try to really find something, you know, you it's it's hard to just see it. Even yeah. If it's right in front of you. So well, it's kind of Hayden and I have had some conversations about this because we've been friends probably since around the beginning of Mount Ivy. Definitely, he actually played on a few of the early songs um and we had talked about Amarillo in general when I was growing up I had like the sour taste in my mouth about mm. Amarillo I was like well it's just you know the typical this is my hometown I hate it you know I want to see what's out there and now I've done some traveling I lived in Austin lived in El Paso and when I was younger we lived in Minnesota for a little bit and kind of saw some different angles and I don't really think that, like, the bigger metropolitan areas have the actual same level of passion and creativity and, like, attention to detail that people in places like Amarillo or, like, smaller surrounding areas like Canyon or even Pampa or, you know, just these smaller where there's not much to, like, there's a lot to do in Amarillo, but, you know, in Canyon, I mean, unless I wanted to ride my bike into town, I'm just chilling there, you know, we had, like, couple acres of property I could walk around and do my thing but didn't like for a while we didn't have like cable or we didn't have like internet Mm -hmm. we had dial up and it was like if somebody needed to make a phone call it's like you know you gotta get off the internet log off RuneScape dude yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh I think when you're in these bigger areas there's so much to do that you don't like take time to just like focus on the little details of everything but like here you have time to kind of pay more attention to the details and I think it comes out in all of the creative works or projects like critical mass is super cool it's like you might see that in a big city but not matched with the same passion you Uh know and detail and just like or even the ping pong league that you're in right now like that's so cool oh yeah like I, there wasn't a lot of that in Austin because it was like, well, if I want to play ping pong, I'll just go to this bar that has ping pong, you know? Uh-huh. It's not like I'm going to get a bunch of my friends and their friends together and we're going to do like a ping pong league yeah. in the street, you yeah, know? Yeah. It's so cool. It's wild. And uh, I think having the less distractions definitely makes for better art and more focused art and cooler ideas you know well that's actually uh actually perfect transition because 
So like the last little segment that I was gonna ask you questions about was like Amarillo culture mm-hmm. in the in the larger sense and specifically because since so you work at Devil or pff, Devils uh, Animal Kingdom yes as a sound engineer yes. like what's your tech that's your technical yeah. title okay so now you see a lot you you probably now how many recording studios are there in Amarillo there's there's a handful. You know, there's Covenant, um, Audio Refinery, and then Teal has a studio, mm-hmm. as far as I know, still. And then uh, Stephen Dolezal, he's got a studio, too. He does for WT. Mm. He's the instructor out there now. Um, yeah, there's like a handful, yeah. and they've all got different vibes. Right, right. Ours is probably like the weirdest, and like, I would, I call it, I think it's very vibey. But, like, it, for, like, super professional experience, you know, like, Covenant, Steven Studios, insanely beautiful. Same with Teal's space. Like, they've all got this, the beautiful spaces, and we've mm. kind of got, like, the grungy, weird, like, more, like, sounds, like, Sound City or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, it's just more vibey and trashy, you know? Yeah. Not trashy, but, like... I don't know, just like weird. underground, like a little yeah, bit more, more underground, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, like, okay, so you you get somebody like as soon as you want to go to that professional level, you have to go to a studio. Mm-hmm. Is that how you feel? Yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, like, because you've you've done a lot of home recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what's the transition from like home recording to professional recording? It's it's really. There's a lot of things that are more convenient about recording professionally in which we're kind of a weird example for this because it's like I grew up recording and so all the stuff we've done I've recorded or like I've had mm. somebody involved like one like Nick that works at Animal Kingdom as well. He's been involved in engineering a lot of it and so we haven't done like a more objective like we're going to somebody's studio to mm. record. It's always been more of us working together, trying to build it. And there's a lot of neat things about that, just having that much creative control over it or having, like, not worrying about time as much, mm. but being able to kind of kind of uh, feel out everything and have all the time you need to work ideas out is really cool. But, um, yeah, you have to... You have to record, and you know it's it's strange too with the amount of recording software that's out there for people to make music on, because there's people that are just recording at their house and they're you know selling a million or getting a million views on mm-hmm. their music or streams or whatever, and like it's like the crappiest quality, but for some reason something mm-hmm. about it is just resonating with people, right? And uh, so. I don't know if it necessarily holds as much weight as it used to because of like people like that, that can record at their house and put out. And I mean, vamping was a home recording technically. Like I have a a good amount of engineering knowledge, but it was done on like pretty limited equipment, Mm. you know, and in an apartment. And so I had to like times where I had to turn my amp down, you know, because my neighbors downstairs yeah. getting PO'd or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So, I don't know. It goes kind of both ways. It just depends on the vibe of the band. You know, like, if you wanted to be, like, a band like Interpol, you have to go to a professional studio and get that sound. Mm. But then there's, like, all kinds of, like, lo-fi artists out there, you know, that are doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, like, you get to see a lot of the backstage of a band. Mm -hmm. Like, whenever, since you're in there with the recording and you're kind of this and that. So, like, a lot of people see this, like, finished product. Right. Whereas you get to see, like, the backstage, like, the under and all of that stuff. So, does that change the music for you? Or, Or can you objectively listen to a finished product? I I can objectively listen to a finished product. Um, I I think it just makes music that much more special to me, getting to have that back and understanding what goes into it, especially when I hear a band that just shreds or whatever, and then they still shred live. I'm just like, man, like, who are you guys? You yeah, know, like, yeah. you've nailed it from technical aspect to performance in studio because performance in studio and performance live is just like completely different ball game. Mm. It's like the vibe is way different. And sometimes music you write in the studio doesn't always necessarily translate to the same energy live, you know, or sometimes it translates way better in the Mm. studio. You hear, you know, you hear a studio recorded album or something and you hear the song you like and you're like oh that's a pretty cool song and then you see it live and it's just you know life changing Mm -hmm. i've had a few of those recently with bands i've seen um it makes me appreciate music more and i don't feel like it affects the way i write too much i think i still try to write honestly and have integrity in the things that i write without trying to have too much focus on the technical aspect of recording it and then, you know, performing it and worrying if it's going to go over or not. I just mm. kind of make it. And then if we don't think it's going to go over live, we just don't play it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's all guess and check. Yeah. But then sometimes you see, like, I recently went and saw a band called Wild Nothing that's been a favorite of mine since I lived in Austin back in, like, 2013. And seeing their live show is super cool because of like their production aspects and stuff. And the songs that went over really well, sometimes I see the songs and I'm like, okay, like this is what they were doing. Like I can kind of break apart and look at all the pieces of what they're doing for the live show. I'm like, man, that really worked well. That bird just smacked the crap out was of the window. Was that the bird? Yeah. Did it go down? Is it okay? I don't know. I can't see it. That's hilarious, dude. Birds, <laughs> man. <It's> like, <laughs> they're like... <laughs> but I think that, that might go into some of my writing is thinking about translating into live, like trying to make it more exciting. And so sometimes we'll record it one way, like maybe really slow, but for the live version, we'll bump it up, Mm, you know? Yeah. Just to make it more energetic for people when they're hearing it live. And I think that's more what I take from those aspects and what gets put into the music that way. Yeah. So it's, it's a different, it's a different experience. It's a different mode of Mm -hmm. thinking. It's a different, 
way of even arranging the music, like all, you know, like live and recording. Mm-hmm. And that, I think a lot of people that probably aren't involved in the industry, it's more difficult for them to see that aspect. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, you don't just step in to the studio and it's one, two, three, you record your album and you're out. Yeah. You know, it's, no, there's it's a, lot a lot more of frustration and then breakthroughs, you know, it's really rewarding to you. Um, and sometimes it's nice to see a band that doesn't have that experience, you know, or doesn't like think about it that way because their music hasn't been touched by mm. the, having that knowledge, you know, they haven't opened Pandora's box yet so to speak and so they they're playing just very raw unfiltered you know with the mother like the apple cider vinegar you know yeah and it's just it's awesome sometimes i really enjoy seeing bands that don't that aren't tainted by having that knowledge and then there's bands that have the knowledge but haven't let it taint them you know Mm -hmm. it's a it's a fine balance there yeah damn that's crazy so um damn you actually covered like most of my uh, most so do you got you got some up and comers here in Amarillo that you want to like throw out um, people to pay attention to? Yeah, um, probably one of my favorite bands that I've been seeing lately. I've got a couple. Uh, Smooth Taste. I've been really digging those guys. I played uh, one of their songs on my last podcast. They're awesome, man. Uh, I saw some of their earlier shows, and now they got like horn section and stuff, and I'm really stoked on the stuff they're doing. Lake Dads. Yeah. Really excited about Matt Lake McIntosh. Dads. I love Matt. I just saw him for coffee this yeah, morning. Yeah. And he's like, What are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm going to do Dexter's podcast. He's like, Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Cool, man. Well, here's your caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Love Lake Dads. I've been really, their whole deal is just super cool. Um, I feel like another great, it's all in the same group that I see forming. Um, Death Bells. Has been around for a little bit now, but I still see them as more of like I think people are still catching on to uh-huh. what they're actually doing. And Courtney, Courtney and Anna, okay, and Cat, okay, yeah. So the three piece band, really dark, moody stuff, mm. but I love it. It's got like a, it's kind of got like an affliction for the occult, and I really just mm. think it's super cool. And, yeah, and. Uh, and then the other one I'd like to shout out is Draven Cruz. I think oh. he's a great creative dude, too. Cool. Yeah, you nice. Know, huh? uh, well, no. What does that mean these days to know somebody? Well, do but, you know You know, like, I, I know of him. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've seen uh, – he did the uh, Keegan Hollis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they did that thing out at Mariposa. So all of the bands that – Pretty much all these bands I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, right like, so I started looking into all of them when he posted, hey, these are the bands that are playing. And I think that that might have been the first time I came across uh, Draven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard of him. I've, I follow him on Instagram, yeah. you know. So it, I don't know what knowing somebody means. Sure. You know, I haven't actually met him, but – And I really appreciate – his music because it reminds me of the way I was approaching music because he's just a little bit younger than me and around that age is when I was experimenting with music the same way that he is and so it's kind of cool seeing somebody else going down a similar Mm -hmm. path and doing Mm -hmm. their own thing because I've heard so he put out this thing called park music like an album called park music and then now he's dropped the whole deal of who he was on that and now he's going to Draven Cruise again 
and he's doing a different thing and I've heard songs with vocals on them and I've heard just a lot of park music's just instrumental you know mm. and it's just cool to see people experimenting and doing that kind of thing it's cool and, you you want to say like trust the process yeah because you've been in that stage mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like just trust it you know don't get discouraged don't get yeah. beat down don't you know just let it let it continue and I'm just excited to see so many new artists popping up and pursuing it to some extent so this is gonna be this was one of the questions I was gonna ask you is like in Amarillo I've heard a lot of people say Amarillo doesn't have a good music scene Amarillo is not a place where you can launch from and it's not this and but then at the same time Amarillo has a good music scene and it seems to be a good place to launch from you know yeah so it's like you got a lot of people that will like almost look at some of the negative aspects mm -hmm. do you see positive aspects with Amarillo absolutely um I mean for instance to launch from it's just geographically well placed if you want to shoot up the west coast and you know do eight hours every stop you could do that or if you want to go to the east coast and do all the closer cities you mm -hmm. can do that you could hit the midwest you can make a circle it's like really accessible to the rest of the country versus other places and then on top of that it's a great place to create and i think that's one place that hayden and i really really agree is that it's just such a cool place to be and i would like for amarillo to have the notoriety that i think it deserves with all the creatives you know in every genre not even just more on the alternative side of things like there's just some great players in town they're making excellent music, whether it be, you know, country, Americana, mm -hmm. great folk players. And then, of course, the indie alternative side we've kind of been seeing building up mm -hmm. and electronic. Like, I think it deserves more notoriety than people give it. And I think a lot of, I think, the negative feelings about Amarillo's music and culture has just been from, like, a few people saying, you know, there's nothing here. Mm. And people not being individual enough to be like well let me see for myself you know and so i'm hoping we can kind of turn the tides in the years to come on that and maybe bring some notoriety and some attention to amarillo while also stimulating people to like pay attention to what's going on here mm -hmm. like not necessarily what just like mount ivy's doing but you know hayden's done so much and definitely gives all the praise to amarillo and mm -hmm. like cares about this place and then i feel like the other artists that are coming out feel the same way yeah it's like you can almost embrace the weird aspect of amarello and like you know what's wild this is one of the things that's crazy and i feel like lends itself to being from amarello making it a base not mm. so like if if almost you could like review it and say this is not the place where you make it mm -hmm. but this is the place where you're from where you start yeah, yeah and like um, I don't exactly know where I was going with that. I kind of lost it whenever I digressed. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, Am Amarillo has all these... It's it's hard because, uh, like, uh, no one's anything in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, I was talking with Hayden and a couple other people, and they were, you know, they were talking about this ba uh, girl that came through and played at eight the 806. Right. And... Um, 
nobody was paying attention. Like people were on their phones, people were walking in and mm-hmm. out. But that same girl is selling out shows in the LA area. Yeah. You know, she's like a big deal. Yeah. You know, and so I feel like sometimes it's it would be like as a musician, you're saying you're kind of looking for that external validation mm-hmm. of the scene and of the numbers. And Amarillo won't give you that. Yeah. They're not going to give you the validation of... They might give you the validation of, hey, you know, like, you're doing good or this or that. Yeah. or be positive and encouraging. But the numbers, like, typically... I mean, even a large show, sure. it's still not a large show by, you know... you know National larger, standards. Yeah, national standards, yeah. you know? So yeah, because we feel, had a big show last night. We had over 150 people through. And it's like... And we've... We've sold out the Golden Light before. Was it pretty creepy? It like was, you said, you had like the horror yeah, films. Yeah, we playing. had horror, we had a sheet, and then we were projecting horror films. Juan had edited in, edited in. He basically put he took like I can't remember twelve films, and then the Teletubbies and Pee Wee Herman, and just made a whole new horror story. Oh of, shit! Yeah, what? so he starts it, and it's like. Stuff's going on. Did he put and that up on YouTube? I hope he will. I don't. Yeah, he I'm just wondering what the copyright is because oh, there's shit. like a yeah, lot oh, of yeah. That's a good point. I more modern. I don't even think that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want him to get sued. Yeah. But it was no, I don't want. Yeah, we don't want anybody getting sued. That's it for was sure. super cool though. Like it would go through a different story, you know, than the original. So, so does does he do the video stuff for y'all's band? Like, because uh, one of uh, one of the videos I saw, like, kind of for the band was a video game like that was star star Uh uh-huh the keyboard player okay which he's he's been currently taking a break because he's busy he's going to school and working like full-time he's doing basically what i was doing when i was doing the pharmacy thing and uh yeah he's freaking busy and i could tell he's kind of getting a little burnt and so he's he's just kicking it back for now and doing his thing but he animated that, mm. and we've had like several different directions. He definitely had a hand in that one, and then we have a video for our old song Cleopatra that he and Scott Stein worked on. Mm. He edited it, Scott Stein shot it, and did a great job. And then you know some of the other videos, like my friend Daniel, uh, who was in Austin at the time, had had done for us and with like a model and stuff. Made this really for a cherry frosted house. I don't know. Oh. If you, have you seen that one? I don't think so. You'll have where, to check where, it out. Where, is this YouTube channel? It's on YouTube. So uh, Mount Ivy has a YouTube channel. Yeah, or is it? Okay. it should just be youtubecom slash Mount Ivy. I don't okay. think it's Mount Ivy Band or anything like that. But yeah, we've got a YouTube channel, which YouTube's also kind of changing too. You know, it's not. I think Facebook video has been more popular. Mm. You know, you get on there and you see millions of views. Mm. I know they're counted different. But um, YouTube hasn't been as popular. I'm on YouTube mm, quite yeah. a bit. Like I watch fishing videos. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Me too, Music man. videos. And, and just... I fall down these rabbit <laughs> that, that's too, what. Man. And you know, it's kind of so funny because you think like there times in my life get defined. Like, for instance, uh, Instant Messenger. Yeah. I remember coming oh, home from man. middle school Messenger? and getting on Instant Messenger and like just sitting there. Maybe with like my afternoon snack. What was it? You know? Windows Messenger or no? What was the one with the two little people like light blue? Or did you do AIM? Or the one AIM I did guy? AIM. The AIM was cool. Uh, 
what was it, AOL? AOL, yeah. Instant Messenger, I think. Uh, yeah, AIM. Yeah. yeah, AIM. And and I remember, you know, you have like your groups of friends. Yeah. And like that's how you talk to girls. I remember that. At, at school, you would get their Instant Messenger name. Yeah. And that's how you talk to girls. But they and completely you, fade. You know, it's like a blip in my, you know, my existence. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I hope not, but I wonder if like YouTube's going to be that for me. Like I remember... Like, hey, I start, uh, you know, I'm learning a song on guitar. So I hop on and I click on it. And then the next thing I see is it's like, a new discovery in the pyramids. Mm-hmm. On. The next thing is, I know, and like before, before I know it, I'm like learning about Antarctica and how there's aliens and all. And I'm like, whoa. Like, <laughs> like, the algorithm is so good. Yeah. You get on and sometimes like without the intention of even watching anything, you just get on. Yeah. You're yeah. like, I'm going to see what's on my page. Today. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is going to teach me about plants today. Yeah. So you're learning about plants. <laughs> and you're right, man. You go down the rabbit hole, and who knows where you're yeah. going to end up. It's and like, then you're watching Thomas the, the Tank, and yeah. later on, you're like, where, how did I get here? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. It's a, it's such a whirlwind, you know? And, and then and the, it like leads to this, like, I don't know anything. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't know who to trust. Yeah. You know? Kind right? of thing. You're like scared. And like... It almost like breeds insecurity like within yourself because you're like, there's so much knowledge there is. and I'll never know it all, but I need to. And you have so much <laughs> access to it. Yeah, it's so crazy. Oh man, YouTube. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, so y'all y'all have some videos up we on there. We do. Yeah, I think you would enjoy the Cherry Frosted House. Right? Have y'all ever thought about like doing a live recording uh, with video and stuff? And, yeah, like, we have. We're kind of... Um, so one of the things that we're trying to do it, Animal Kingdom, and we've been tossing around the idea of, is it's going to be called Live at Bobby Crispy's, mm. um, and we want to do, set up a room for bands to come in to stimulate more Amarillo interest, and have a band come in and get some angles on them, and then record their sound to another room, and we're hoping at some point to open up the room, but for now it's going to be a closed off room. And they'll have shots going on. They'll be playing their song. It'll be professionally recorded. And then it'll be kind of like KEXP, if mm-hmm. you ever watch oh, KEXP. Yeah. Kind of that style, like, just, you know, let bands come in. Or if bands are coming through, we want to hopefully get them Dope. in to do that. But I think the primary focus is going to be more to get the local guys in whatever genre. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, because the... We're friends with everybody, different genres, you know. Yeah, there's not guys, really. Old it's, guys. it's weird because there's not really like an uh, an inner scene competition. It's not like y'all are rap, we are new, yeah. we're you know pop or whatever. It, there's there there's not enough in Amarillo to where you can like unite behind a banner. Mm-hmm. Like the banner is Amarillo. Yeah. Being an Amarillo artist. That's it. We all face the same limitate. Well, y'all all. I can't really. <laughs> but the same limitations, the same scene, the right. same this, and it's almost like a unity in the fact that you are willing to define yourself as creating something. Right. So, yeah, that's super interesting. That's cool. That's going yeah. to be super sweet. We're just trying to logistically figure it out. We've got, we've absolutely got the sound figured out. We're just trying to figure out how we're going to do the angles and like what, how we're going to brand it like in a way that's interesting and keeps your attention so that more artists can get some recognition Mm -hmm. without it being like just a cheesy, like 
hey, my friend's band came and played at my mm-hmm. house, and mm-hmm. here's one angle of them playing, Yeah, and the audio sucks. And yeah, well, <laughs> see, that, that's, the, that's the key that I feel like Amarillo's lacked for a long time is the quality of, of uh, not production, it's uh, the quality of, uh, damn, what is I I had the I'm, word, but, um, like, so, like, the uh, image, mm-hmm. the the final like it's not the lack of talent; it's the the lack of properly showing exhibiting yeah. it's like the exhibiting of the good talent. example of this is Sad Monkey. Mm. I feel like they've greatly increased the quality of imagery that's came out about the community mm-hmm. because before then, you remember watching like public access or whatever or it doesn't matter they had stuff on cable and satellite too like commercials Amarillo commercials yeah you know Amarillo gun and pawn and it's just yeah. this dude with the VHS just scrolling through all the guns with some like, guy like talking over it if you're if you're in the business and you're looking for this I'm like, oh, I'm going down right? you know and it's like it's well, cheesy like, why are you cringy? yelling at me why are you I don't understand cheesy yeah. and cringy but yeah we're finally seeing like a shift in quality of, of uh, I don't. I'm with you, dude. I'm like missing public, that word. Like public relations, or like, um, damn, I can't think of it now. And uh, it's just the overall, you know, presentation. Presentation. That's what I. That's the word I was looking for. It's presentation. Yeah. Like we have. Well, and see, I think that's like one thing like uh, Palace Coffee really like shifted. Yeah, um, is they have like a a good presentation from they, the get go. They do. It, it it allows you to buy in. It allows you to say, you know, and like roasters, they've done great. Yeah, as example, in the evocation of co- of course, you know, give out all the coffee. You know, yeah. we got great coffee in eight oh six. But yeah, eight oh six. Shit, dude, I can't even think. Yeah, I always forget that eight oh six is a coffee place. I always yeah. think of it more artistically yeah, more and arti- community. Exactly, based. yeah. And I always forget. Um, that's where the well, critical they don't mass... like they're not doing the highbrow mm. shots, you know, it's like if you see them, it's because they're on TV or they're doing a benefit mm-hmm. or they're mm-hmm. doing something, it's not like they're doing the high yeah. you know filming in there yeah. and doing that kind of thing. It's just it's a staple man. Yeah, but, it is a staple. And they've like harbored such a such a community like they've harbored an aspect of the community that mm-hmm. didn't really have a stable like you you might see something that like markets towards I don't know is it is it bad to say weirdos like give, no. giving like giving like people that don't really have a place yeah. to plug in a place to plug in yeah. but it it was like a stable good business that actually stayed around and was right. built with good bones you know a foundation yeah, to stay good, good intentions yep. and it's like a safe place for people to dude go. i've seen a bunch of good bands in that place oh, man. Yeah. like like high i mean i bet if you put the list of bands that have played in the 806 it probably rivals the golden light yeah. for sure like great they've had bands. some great bands but oh absolutely but all that to say you know if if whenever amarello presents its product properly it gives people more of a thing to latch onto, mm-hmm. and amarello will like whenever they find something that they that they like it is now a part of me. Mm-hmm. Like it is a separate business. It's a place that I go, but it's now a part of me. Right. It's kind of an interesting 
thing that I don't think a lot of people had uh, in Amarillo. I think it's a fairly new for people to take pride in their business um, for its cultural relevance mm-hmm. almost, you know, Definitely. like not just for the money I'm going to be making or like seeing it as a cash cow. It's right. actually uh, an investment for the community, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting thing. But damn, I don't, I can't remember where I was on that. Oh, so we got, let's see here. Dude, we're at an hour 52. Dang. So that's We've just a, been grinding. That's like a raw audio. So I'll, I'll hit my last three things cool. and then we'll call it a call it a show deal so you got some plugs um you got animal animal kingdom yeah. if anybody's wanting to do any recording or take their music to that next level definitely animal kingdom that's where we did our music the vamping stuff was mastered there by nick uh, we just had Hobo Johnson through. Dude, I saw that shit. Yeah. You know what's funny is I saw a YouTube video of that guy, and I didn't know who I didn't know he was a, a thing. Like it mm-hmm. just like popped up, like you know somebody shared it or something. And he was doing like kind of spoken wordies type stuff, mm-hmm. and then but I never really acknowledged that they were a thing. Yes, yeah, like you know, like large... I didn't I didn't look at their name or anything, and then I saw on your Instagram. I saw that you had a picture with him, so I clicked on it and I was like, "That is the guy." Yeah. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the video and that they had put out. Oh, yeah. Like it was. Uh, I liked the spoken word. I liked the band. Mm-hmm. I even thought the video I saw, which I don't, uh, I don't know if it was super popular or not, but it was like the camera was kind of coming in and kind of coming mm-hmm. out, like it was shot. It was filmed. Yeah. Very well. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. So it, yeah, that's I cool. Bet it was Romeo so and did, Juliet. Did they? Uh, did they? record it was like a random thing they were passing from dallas to santa fe which happens with tons of huge Mm -hmm. bands you know everybody has to come this way um and their tour manager texted me he was like hey i'm working with a touring artist named hobo johnson we need a place to lay some drums you know because they have they're honestly their band they're all creative geniuses Mm -hmm. when i got to meet them it was super cool just getting to watch their process because the main guy frank he writes and records and produces pretty much everything. He's kind of the the brains behind it all. And so he knew exactly what he wants. He's got two or three traveling engineers with him. And so really what we did is we helped make the space accommodating to what they were trying to do. Helped him mic the drum kit. Mm. I showed him sweet spots in the room and we just kind of worked with each other to set up the sound. And they just, they ended up bringing their computer and then doing some tracking for new music that they've been playing on there. And then on our computer, they laid drums and shifted them over so Frank, the singer, could edit them and get them exactly how he wants them. And yeah, I just got to hang out after I helped them engineer and showed them everything that we were doing. Like, they have people. I mean, I could have recorded them, but... Uh, like been more involved in the process, but they had a good thing going, so they yeah. really just needed a creative place to go. Nice. It was away from all the like hustle and bustle, you know. Like they can just be there, and nobody's gonna bug them. And so I think that's another reason Amarillo is so cool. It's yeah. just you know, and people knew that they were in town, and I didn't post about them until after they left, you know. 
because there's a lot of people that would have tried to like come see them, you know, mm-hmm. or be like, hey, let's get some autographs or let's try to hang out with them, you yeah. know. Um, so it's it's a cool space to be in, especially in Amarillo, because you don't. If you go to a place like Animal Kingdom, like you don't know they're there. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean it's it's honestly kind of tricky to even know that the the recording studio is there. Mm-hmm. Oh I mean, yeah, it's if you drive of, by it. Yeah, it's like, kind of it's, in uh unassuming, yeah. you know. It's just kind of there, you know, and yeah, you what has it got like data services signs yeah, still hanging up? Data and stuff? services. Mm-hmm. And that still runs. That side of the business still runs. Really? Uh-huh. Huh. Um, I didn't know that. But yeah. We originally weren't trying to be real assertive about it, um, but now we're kind of thinking because we just got the way that Amarillo is districting downtown. We got put in the art district, dope. And so we're thinking about uh, like the plans without putting too much out there is to make it more loud and more obvious that it's a studio, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by doing some slight renovations to it which we're still working out details of that so it's not i don't have too much just that i can say about it because we haven't come you you can say pay attention to animal kingdom recording like follow on instagram keep in touch i mean especially if you're a creative person even if it's just a different if even if it's non-audio yeah but just be paying attention yeah because we're going to be doing things Hopefully, things for everybody soon, not just people that want to record, but just, like, making a part of the downtown experience as mm. it starts to grow. Hell yeah, and dude. So diversifying, yeah. man. Like, you, you, the product you offer is not just recording. Yeah. There is a cultural product. There is a cultural, like, relevance. That's what we're working towards with the space, to not only be able to offer that, but to be able to offer something special for people that go downtown whenever mm-hmm. it develops that way. Yeah. You know, or well, just as in, in the growth period, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that's crazy is, um, Amarillo is like downtown, what you would consider like the core of downtown and where y'all studio is, mm-hmm. is a, uh, a lazy person's bike ride. Yeah. I mean, it is super short. It's super I mean, short. It's, a, it's really a lazy person's walk or it's maybe, like, maybe a slightly non-lazy yeah. person's walk. Because I guess Polk is kind of where it's happening right now. And we're, you know, five blocks, six blocks away. Yeah, I mean, nothing. Yeah, like nothing. I walk downtown from time to time. You you could walk there. Hell yeah, dude. I I love that area, like where my old house was, Mm -hmm. I-40 in Washington area. Nice. That that was like one of my main running loops. And I love like... You got the brick, mm-hmm. the depression, yeah. uh, brick roads. You've got, I mean, <laughs> it's just like seeing that, seeing Amarillo, like especially that portion of Amarillo, it's like there's a like time capsules yeah, everywhere absolutely. you look, you know, it's, it's uh, as far as this area has history, I mean, it's not like East Coast history where it's right. like hundreds of years old, but yeah. it's got its, you know, you got your Rock Island you know, rail line Absolutely. and all that kind of shit. Yeah, so it's super cool. There's some cool history. Yeah, Emerald, and it's just so centrally located that mm-hmm. I'm sure so many stories have transpired. Oh, yeah. That no one knows. Or oh, yeah, dude. Only, like, one dude knows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's amazing, dude. I, oh, if you could dig, if you could dig some of that stuff out, man. I mean... Uh, so you got some more plugs? I'm trying to think. Wait, okay. Vamping and Mount Ivy. Vamping and Mount Ivy. 
Vamping, you can find me on everything. Um, actually, find me on Instagram, at Vamping Vamping. Uh, the name's so nice. I said it twice. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, and then Mount Ivy, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Apple Music. Same what, what's the best place? Like, where do y'all post y'all's uh, upcoming shows the most? I mean, I think I follow Probably. y'all on Instagram. Instagram's and, the and, spot. Yeah, it seems yeah, like. At Mount Ivy on Instagram, at Mount Ivy Band on Twitter. I think everything else is just at Mount Ivy. Okay, so, yeah. Nice. I think those are the main plugs, man. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and, I mean, that's the thing is you find you find you one spot on social media, you'll probably find it connected oh, yeah, to all the other. Oh, yeah, it's all connected. All. Absolutely. So, um, so la- well, I guess, do you have a song that you want to close out the podcast with? Hmm. Let me see. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Let me find it really quick. It'd be super cool. To play that new Lake Dad song. Oh, okay. just came out. I just gotta find it. Might as well pay it forward. John paid it forward with my music. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I'm hoping to play a lot more local music on the podcast. I've been trying to uh, do my best, you know, to, to keep it yeah. as local as possible, you know. I bet Matt would, Matt and. Keely would be totally cool with you playing their music. Yeah, I'll give him a shot. I'll give him a. I'll give him a shot on uh, Instagram just to double check. Uh, changing. Changing. Yeah. Okay. I can. I'll text it. To you, or I'll, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll send it over to you, and then you can hit them up. Changing. But yeah, I think that's. that's yeah, I just saw. I just saw Matt uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, Gunnar Wadowski was having a party. Nice. And like, I was like walking out, and I saw him standing. I was like. Ran up to him and was like, what's up, dude? I hadn't seen him. The The first time I actually met him, I had seen him in Roasters. Mm-hmm. So, and I think, you know, just Amarillo, how you just kind of, there's people that are familiar to oh, you, yeah. you know, just from who knows what. But it was an open mic years ago at Austin's Pub. Mm-hmm. And I just went up there to watch, you know, like I've I've never had enough courage or whatever to, to, to play, play or, or, even, or even had a song to play, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But... I always enjoyed going up there, and Matt was sitting at a table by himself, and I recognized him from Roasters, so I sat down and chit-chatted with him mm-hmm. for a while. That was actually how I met him, and so, uh, and that, you know, we were talking about that the other night. I think that was like seven years ago. That's wild. You know? I mean, so he's he's been on my radar for a really long time, yeah. and I've had a, I had a buddy, one of like the most, like the best drummers I've ever known in my life, uh, was going to form a band with Matt, yeah. you know, and so it was like... There's like uh, an extreme amount of validation mm-hmm. just because this was like one of the best musicians. My buddy was one of the best musicians I'd ever known. Right. And so for him to say, oh, I really want to perform a band with this guy, yeah. you know, because he's, you know, creative genius or whatever. It's, uh, you know, you definitely like make mental notes of that kind of stuff. So cool, man. Yeah. I, yeah. So late dads and change. So my last question is how do you define success? Oh, uh, Oh, that's a that's a good question. That's really really good. I like that you're ending with a with a banger. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think I don't think success is necessarily based on how you're perceived perceived, but more how you achieve your personal goals that you set for yourself. Mm. And 
whatever, you know, endeavor you go out on. Like I try to set in every endeavor I take, I try to set like, you know, short term goals and long term goals for it. I think success is just meeting those goals along the way, not necessarily how it's perceived or necessarily mainstream, you know, mainstream recognition, that kind of thing. I think it's just like I I see personal success being the truest form of success mm. um, because you can you can go down the rabbit hole worrying about how it's perceived and how your success is perceived but you know success is relative to each person not necessarily how like the perception of a person if that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's my opinion but nice yeah yeah that's a good one man it's uh it's it's interesting like uh like one of one of the times that i realized that i was successful was i was like looking at my kid peeing on the fence yeah and it was like damn like I feel successful. Yeah. And he's just standing there like taking a piss on the fence, you know? And it was just like, it was like, he's alive. Yeah. I'm alive. Yeah. Like I love my wife. I love that, you know? And, and, but that doesn't transcend to anybody else. Yeah. No one else would have looked at a kid being on a fence. Oh, wow. You're really successful. Yeah. Because being on your fence. Yeah. 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 No one else looks at that one thing and says, Oh, but to me, to me, that was a like a mile marker. Yeah. That was an experience. You know? It was like looking at it, and it was just like cool, you know. Yeah. Like, so it it is. It's like so much of it has to be an internalized mm-hmm. like process thing. Well, okay, dude. Well, thank you very much for uh, giving me two hours and five minutes of recording time. Well, so thanks. that's that's quite a hammer out. Thanks right for there. having me. So I'm glad uh, we made it work. Yeah, yeah. Me too, man. Me too. So this is Lake Dad's changing. Thank you all for listening and until next time, peace.